Hello, everybody. I know what you're thinking. You're probably thinking, where's the music? Where's the intro music? What's going on? Is this a new format? Uh, the answer is the intro music will be up in a second. No, this is not a new format. We're not doing something new and weird. I just want to let everybody know that probably for the first time in So Video Games history, we experienced a handful of pretty heavy technical audio issues while we were recording. There were a few times where Brad lost my audio completely while... I was talking about something uh, for reasons we don't know, probably internet issues or something like that. So I had to do some pretty significant cuts while I was editing the show to try to cut out um, any weird stuff or stuff where our audio didn't quite line up or um, just anything like that. So just a heads up, usually I don't do a lot of cuts like this. So if you hear anything that sounds a little bit weird, that sounds like, you know, a pretty obvious cut, uh, Usually I don't have to do that, but in this episode I did. So please forgive me. Please forgive Brad. There were just some weird technical things that were out of, uh, really out of what we could control, but I did my best to save the show and it only happened a couple times, so it's not a big deal. But also, um, on another note, of course, while we were recording outside of my house, there were some very loud people mowing the lawn right outside the window. I'm going to, I did my best to uh, pull the volume down on that also, but just in case you hear that, just know that that's what's going on. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to give a little intro in case you hear anything weird in the show, in case it seems like there's a cut where maybe I ask a question and Brad doesn't seem to respond to it exactly the way it does or vice versa, the way I asked it. Um, it's because we had to do some pretty significant cuts. So, um, Hope it sounds good. Uh, thank you all for listening. And without further ado, I welcome you to episode 95 of the So Video Games Podcast. Welcome to episode 95 of the So Video Games Podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we're playing it, we'll be talking about it. Today, we are recording on August 25th, 2018. My name is Corey Motley. I am a staff writer at GameCritics.com. I'm also 50% of this show. Joining me, as always, is Brad Galloway. He is the editor at GameCritics. How are you, Brad? I am doing well, sir. I am doing well. <laughs> Just well? That's it? Just well. I'm thinking about what we're about to talk about, and it's making me mm. just well. Well, uh, yes. Uh, before we get started in our games chat, we have a little bit of sad news to bring to the show. I don't know how many people who listen to the show are familiar with Michael Cunningham, a.k.a. Mac Cunningham. He is known as Final Mac Storm on Twitter. Um, I know he was a several times over guest on the Game Critics podcast. He and I never had the pleasure of podcasting at the same time, but we were familiar with each other. Um, he championed handheld gaming a lot on uh, Twitter and maybe uh, champion, maybe invented the hashtag uh, team handheld, which he used all the time. Um, he was very big into handheld gaming. 
Um, also the editor-in-chief of RP Gamer. Um, I am sorry to tell everybody that he passed away early this morning, just uh, a few hours before we started recording the show today. So if you're familiar with him or his work, um, he was just... I mean, he and I didn't talk a lot on Twitter, but he was just always such a positive guy, um, always putting, I hate to say this because it sounds so cheesy, but always putting like good vibes out there, um, very positive, was always championing uh, RPGs and handheld games and just loved what he did and wrote about it all the time and would champion stuff that he loved, which is so rare, sadly, to see these days is people championing all these things they love rather than people spending a lot of time talking about things they don't like. He was not that kind of person. Um, and I know he wouldn't want us to spend a ton of time mourning his loss on the show today. Uh, he would rather us celebrate the things we love. Uh, but Brad, I know you were well acquainted with him much more than I was because you two had podcasted together several times over. Um, do you want to say anything before we move on? Yeah, I just want to say first off that it's a huge, uh, huge loss. I'm still not quite... Um... I'm, I'm just, I'm shocked. I mean, I knew this was coming. He had been um, sick for a while and he didn't talk like a lot about it, but he did mention it here and there um, on the open channels. And I had talked with him behind the scenes more than a few times um, uh, just to see how he was doing and just to kind of, you know, get the lowdown on, on how things were going. And it seemed for a while that he might actually pull out of it, but then he kind of took a turn for the worse and I just, he didn't really recover from that. So uh, very 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 sad to hear that he's passed away um i know that he was uh having some trouble so hopefully this will be um a little bit of peace for him in some ways um my serious most serious condolences uh to his wife uh who he leaves behind i can't imagine how terrible this must be for her uh but he was a great guy i mean he podcasted with us many times on the game critics podcast uh you could not find a more cheerful more positive guy like even when he was bothered by something or when something was stuck in his crawl like he always uh he never dwelt on it and he would always be uh, a real positive uh happy influence it was always a pleasure to be around him and he was like mr handheld he was mr vita he loved the vita almost more than anybody else i know um <laughs> he was number one in the vita fan club which was cool that was something we bonded on um and you could just always count on him for anything i mean he was just a great guy i mean i just it's it's a real loss that he's not around anymore because he is exactly the kind of guy that you want to have at your website. He is exactly the kind of guy that you want to have on Twitter. Um, he is one of the good ones, and I'm very, very sad uh, that he is gone. So um, goodbye, Michael. It was a pleasure. And uh, again, condolences to his wife. Um, I think they are planning some sort of memory of life celebration. I don't know the details of that. Like, this is all just really soon. Um, so maybe check his Twitter feed. Possibly his wife will be updating it to get in touch with his friends or... I'm sure he's on Facebook in some capacity, but um, there we go. And like you said, he would not want us to sit and to be sad about it. That is not how he operated at all. So um, now that we've got this out of the way, let's go ahead and plow on with the show. But uh, yeah, that was a huge loss this morning. Yeah, definitely sad <clears throat> news, but he would not want us to talk about it a lot. I know that he would much rather have us talk about video games and the things that we love instead. So we are absolutely going to do that for the rest of the show. Um, but may this show be dedicated to him. Um, but we're going to move on. Uh, Brad, I know you've been playing a few things this week. I mean, I guess we both have. Uh, what do you want to talk about first? Um, <clears throat> okay, well, first I'll do kind of a little double feature here because I don't have a lot to say about either one, although that's not necessarily a bad thing. 
Um, <laughs> as someone who is super busy and is not a big fan of huge games and has a lot on my plate, I do appreciate compact, right-to-the-point experiences that get in and get out and don't waste your time, and that's what both of these things are, so I really like that a lot. Um, the first one is called Caro Blaster, K-E-R-O Blaster. This is put out by the same guy that made... Damn it, I made... I'm, told myself I was going to write some notes before I got to the show. Um, what is the name? Okay. What is the name of that really, really super famous indie game that's come out on every platform? It's got a ton of fans. It was it was free for a while. It's like the original indie game that everybody loves. What is, you know what the game is? I know you're not. I don't know. What is is it it? The only one I'm thinking of is Braid or Spelunky. Uh, no, that's not right. Ah. But it, I got I got to find out. So I apologize, folks. This is totally my bad. <laughs> I was supposed to figure this out before the show. His name is Pixel. That's his actual name. And Cave Story. Cave Story is what it is. Uh, Cave Story. Okay. He's the guy that made Cave Story, which was was like the original indie success story. Everybody, I mean, Cave Story is a great game. Have you ever played Cave Story, by the way? I have not. It's on, like, literally every platform now. It was really hard to play it for a while because it was, like, only on PC. And I would hear people talk about it all the time, how great it was. And I'm like, yeah, 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 whatever. And then it finally came to, I think it was 3DS or maybe it was Vita, and I played it there. And I did, I did think the hype was deserved. It was a very great game, liked it a lot. So this is, uh, he's done a couple other things, nothing as big or as in depth as Cave Story. I think Cave Story was like a multi-year labor of love for him while he did like some other job or something like that. Um, so he's done Ikachan, which is about a squid, which was a really fun little game. Uh, and this one, his newest one, Caro uh, Blaster. You play as a frog who has a gun, uh, and you have to just, like, go through these side-scrolling 2D levels and just shoot anything that moves, basically. It's really cute because um, the art style is very simplified, very uh, very basic. The frog looks like he's made out of about maybe, like, 35 pixels or something like that, <laughs> which is fine. I totally think it's fine. Like, it looks on point for what it is. Um, you get a couple different guns during the game that you upgrade. Um, you earn some money by shooting stuff. If you die, you keep the money, which is great. And you just, like that's really like all it is. Like you just move forward. There's a tiny, tiny little story about people who work at this job and you need to shoot these things for your boss. And, you know, I mean, whatever. There's not much of a story to it. Not nearly as much as in Cave Story. Um, but that's really all it is. Like you're a frog. You walk from, you know, left to right, sometimes right to left. You shoot things. If you fall in water, you don't die, which is great because I hate when you play a game and you're a frog and you fall in water and you die. Frogger. Um, you get a jetpack, which is nice. I like a little jetpack. You know, I like me some jetpack. And uh, that's basically about it. I'm actually on the last level today. I'm going to try to beat the last boss. It's really tough. Um, but what you can do in this game, which I really appreciate, is that even if you die, you keep all the money you get. And when you come back, they just throw more money at you. So eventually... <laughs> By, you know, just by sheer force of will, you will earn enough money to buy all of the upgrades. And by that time, you'll be super tough and you can, you know, take out the boss no problem. Almost had him last night. I needed like one more heart container that I didn't buy yet. So I'll buy that today and I should probably have it in the can today. But nothing really. I mean, I, 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 I feel like I'm I'm a little torn on this one because there's nothing really else to it. But I don't mean to say that is a bad thing. Like, I think that having a very simple, straightforward platformer is fine. It's well-made. It's cute to look at. It does exactly what it needs to do. And I have been enjoying it because it's so brief and it's so lightweight, but in a good way. Like, I don't need to go find a wiki to figure out anything about this game. I don't need to watch a YouTube video to figure out how to get past anything. It's just a very straightforward, well-made, simple game. And I think that there is a beauty in that. 
Um, I don't know that I want to play games like this all the time. I probably wouldn't, but I think that for where I'm at right now, playing like a half an hour of this before I go to bed is just exactly what I want and exactly what I need. And I think this is a very well-made example of that. So I, I don't want to sound like I'm damning it because there's not a lot to it, but I think, I think that's one of its strengths. So uh, definitely a big fan of Carol Blaster. I'm liking this. Uh, it's good stuff so far. Any, any questions of that, Corey? Uh, not really. I just feel like it's worth reiterating that, um, first of all, before I say anything, I talked about this in banter. Actually, it might not be in the banter, but there's people outside my house right now that are going to be chopping down a giant tree in my yard, and there's currently chainsaws out my window. So if you hear, if people listening hear weird chainsaw noises, that's what's happening. Um, I'll try to mute my mic as much as possible, but... In relation to the game, uh, the only thing I have to say is that, you know, sometimes there's this idea in video games where every game needs to be, like, the next innovative thing, or it has to do something that nobody's done before, and it has to be, like, this glitzy and glamorous, innovative, bullshit, whatever game thing. But there's a lot to be said for games that just do a thing, that do it well, and they don't need to have a million bells and whistles, and they don't need to reinvent video games as a whole, and... They just do the thing, they do it well, they give it to you, and then it's over, and that's it, and that's perfectly fine. Exactly. It's like it's like when you're in the mood for, like, I don't know, just, like, a hamburger. Like, if you're just like, <laughs> man, I just really want, like, a hamburger. And, like, you don't need, you know, uh, I don't know, like, cod fillets on top of it. You don't need to put, like, you know, a Kaiser bun. You don't need to put, um, you know, truffle oil or, you know, foie gras or any of that shit. Like, sometimes you just want a burger where it's just, like, a bun. <laughs> And the patty that's well cooked, you know, a little, you know, onion or whatever, ketchup, mustard, whatever you put on a burger for yourself, whatever, everybody's different. But you just want a simple burger. And sometimes that's all you need. Sometimes that's all you want. And as long as that's done well, like it's cooked well and all the stuff is in place, it's got the right proportions, that can be just as delicious as any meal that you have at a five-star restaurant. And that's kind of how I feel about Cara Blaster, where it's like, it is literally just a very straightforward, simple platformer. It is exactly what you think it is. It is exactly what it looks like. and that. It, but it's executed well. Like, it is done well. It's cute. It's friendly. Um, it just, it's just that nice hamburger when you're in the mood for a hamburger. And there's nothing <laughs> wrong with that at all. I'm glad that it exists. So, yes, I'm glad that we... I'm glad that you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. All right. So, that's all I have to say on that one. The next one uh, is currently under embargo. I didn't mention this earlier, but we may have to delay the show by, like, a day to make sure that we clear all the embargoes on these games I'm about to talk about today. Um, but Donut County is, uh, I have played this, I've completed it. It was a darling of last year's packs and it's being put out by Annapurna Interactive, who I really am a fan of. Mm, I don't like all I their games. I love Annapurna. Yeah, yes. they're, they're pretty cool, right? Yeah, they have like, the, it's weird whenever you find publishers and we talked about this, what was it last week or the week before when you were talking about Adult Swim games, but it's like, Whenever I think there's only a handful of publishers out there like Annapurna, Adult Swim, and uh, Devolver, where, like, I, I'm not—it's not to say that they put out the exact same kind of game over and over and over again, but, like, whenever you hear that publisher, you just, like, automatically have a pretty good idea of, like, what the game—like, what kind of categories the game might fall into, because they're very good at picking— the kind of games that they want to publish. And those are the three that I can think of that are more like indie based off the top of my head publishers that I um, really like respect what they're doing as far as their like 
game. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like how they how they pick things. There's a word for it, but I can't remember what it's called. Yeah, they're really cultivating. I, I agree with all those three picks. I would have I would have said the exact same three publishers. Like they have a very clear kind of profile, or they have a very clear kind of you know, I don't know, like kind of boutique flavor to the games that they release. And like, they're not all the same games. And honestly, I don't like all of the games, like, like all three of those publishers, Annapurna, Devolver, Adult Swim. I don't like all of the games they put out, but I like the tone, the angle, the style that they pick. Like, like, just like you said, when you hear of something coming from one of those ones, you at least got to check it out because you know that they, they have an eye, like they have good people picking out games. So this one comes from Annapurna and I think it is another winner again. And kind of like Carol Blaster, very simple, in and out, straightforward, but it's good. Uh, it's called Donut County, and there's a little bit of a story. Um, honestly, I don't think the story is really all that important or that entertaining. I think that maybe they thought it was funnier than it was, but I don't think it's very funny. Um, <laughs> and I don't mean to say that as an insult. I just I just found myself quickly skipping through all the story scenes, which I don't usually do as I wanted to get back to the gameplay. Um, basically, uh, what you are is a hole. You are literally a hole in the ground. <laughs> And much like real life, you start as a small hole and you get bigger and bigger and bigger as time goes on. Um, in the beginning, like you, you start off in like a different landscapes. Like at first you're like near a house or something like that. There's like grass on the lawn. There's a fence. There's a tree stump, a house, maybe a car parked in the driveway. So it's just like, like, like a regular, you know, uh, suburban domicile or something. So you start off as this hole and it's not important why you're whole. I don't think that's ever really justified. It's kind of just weird, but just, just go with it. Um, you're a hole, and so you have to swallow things, and so at first, you cannot fit the car or the house or the fence because you are too small of a hole, so you need to find something small that fits inside yourself, which is usually like a tuft of grass or a small pebble or something like something teeny tiny. So you find enough of the teeny tiny things, and then you swallow those up. Those just disappear, and again, you are a hole, like, like literally like a Warner Brothers cartoon hole on the ground, just kind of moving around at random. Um... So you swallow things that are small, you get bigger with the more things that you swallow, and then as you get bigger, of course, like next you'll move up to like the lawn chair on the lawn, or you'll move up to the dog that's tied up at the doghouse, or you'll go to the, you'll eventually take the doghouse, you'll take the, the tree, and then you get bigger and bigger, and then you get to like, you know, you'll, you'll swallow up the car, you'll swallow up the house, you'll swallow up anything, and like eventually what you end up doing is you, you swallow like every single thing in the level. So it's not... I don't want to say it's a puzzle game because I think that's maybe making it sound more complex than it is. But I think there's a little bit to it where it's like, what is the what is the first thing I can fit? What is the next thing I can fit? What is the thing that I can fit after this? So you kind of got to work your way up the ladder every time. But there is something impossibly bizarrely satisfying about making something disappear <laughs> into a hole. I don't know what oh it my is. God. This and is very inappropriate, Brad. This is extremely inappropriate. I'm sorry. But we need to just, we got to be honest. We're good friends. We can be honest with each other. Our, our audience is very mature. I'm sure they can handle it. But there is something extremely satisfying about putting something into a hole and watching it disappear. And please oh fill God. in your own mental image. I'm not going to go any further down that path. Um, I don't know what it is. Like, it's simple. Like, when you talk about it, you're, st you're moving a hole, stuff falls in. That's literally all this game is. That's all it is. <laughs> Stuff falls into a hole. That's what Donut Candy's all about. But something is very satisfying about it. Um, I just, I once I started playing, I literally could not stop playing. And my son saw it, and he wanted to join in, and he was harassing me until he could jump in. I'm like, okay, fine. So we switched off. We, like, beat the entire game in one sitting, which was really how much fun we were having with it. Um, it's short, though. 
Uh, it's very short. It's probably like maybe 90 minutes or maybe two hours at the max, um, depending on, I guess, how long it takes you to figure out um, how to stuff, stuff things into your yeah, hole. Yeah, how, how to stuff things into your hole. If, it takes, <laughs> if you're new, if you're just starting out, not too experienced, and you got to stuff stuff in your hole, sometimes it can take a little working up to it. And if you are, if you're a newbie, then take a few oh extra minutes. God. Don't rush it. <laughs> but uh, it's not going to take you longer than an hour and a half, two hours. And you just go through these different levels. At first, it's just stuffing stuff in your hole. But then there are slight, very slight, very slight elements that get added to it. At one point, you get a quote-unquote catapult inside the hole. So if you suck something in, uh, then you can shoot it back out. And that's used for a couple of very, very lightweight puzzles. They're not, they're not, I, I hesitate to even call them puzzles. I mean, it's fun, but it's not like a brain teaser or anything. Um, there's a few instances where you got to do something slightly different with your hole, uh, but usually oh you're just stuffing stuff into it. And that's basically the game. We finished it in like 90 minutes and I thought it was really fun. Story was kind of dumb and I skipped through most of it, but I think it looks cute. The graphics are very simple, uh, brightly colored. It's very attractive looking, uh, and just stuffing stuff in your hole is a good time. That's a, that's a fun time. So I would recommend Friday night. You have some friends over, stuff some stuff in your hole, and you just enjoy Donut County. It's a good time. Um, this is currently under embargo, so we cannot uh, cannot publish a show. I'll talk to you about it afterwards. But uh, by the time that you're listening to the show, it'll be out for sale, I'm sure, dear listeners. And uh, it's a good time. So there you go. Corey, any thoughts about uh, stuff okay, and stuff so in your hole? For, first of all, what systems are you playing these on? Uh, I'm sorry, these games? What? The Carol Blaster and Donut County, what systems are you playing? Oh, I apologize. My bad. My bad. Um, I'm playing Carol Blaster currently on the Switch, but I believe it is on every single system known to man. And Donut County, I believe, is on PC, Xbox, or uh, PC, Xbox One, and PS4, and I am playing it on PS4. Roger that. Um, I cannot wait until a game developer, and if I had to, if I had to pin one down, I would say Robert Yang, who made the Gundix game, the Tea Room, turns this game and makes it into some kind of gay sex simulator. It's halfway there already, so I, <laughs> I think that's probably fine. Although, to be fair, straight guys can stick stuff in their holes, too. Let's not be let's not be sexist about this. That's a totally not... Gay guys don't have the market on hole stuffing, so I, to be fair, that could be... It could go either way. It could swing mm. either way. It's in these moments right now that I wish that whenever you and I podcasted, we did... Uh, like a webcam and published like video <laughs> podcasting because if you could see like the faces that I was making through most of that are discussion, you, they were very funny. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to see that like face of like harsh disapproval as I start making all these stupid jokes. I would I would love to see no, that. No, it's I, like the if you think of on your iPhone the emoji that's just the smiley face, but it's the two eyes and then the mouth. It's just a straight horizontal line. That is. Um, <laughs> That's, <laughs> that's me for the past 10 minutes. <laughs> ah, good times, good times, good times. Okay, so um, both of those games are very short. I mean, I think Carol Blaster is also probably about um, two hours or so, give or take. Um, so very short, very focused, very good at what they do, and those are really quick to consume. So if people are in the market for something that is done well, but you don't have to devote your whole life to it, either one of those I feel like are a lot of fun. So... Those are those. Um, Corey, let's talk about some remothered. Remothered. Okay, so. Uh, okay, so remothered. You had 
asked me a while back on Twitter, you said, hey, I got a code for this game called Remothered. What do you think it's up your alley? Because it's like a third-person survival horror-y, looks sort of Resident Evil-y in a way. And I had never heard of it. I looked up the site, I looked up the game, and there was just something I could not quite put my finger on about looking at it where I thought, you know... Usually this kind of stuff is up my alley, but I'm not sure that this is going to be... Like, I don't want to devote myself to playing this because I'm worried, much like how I was with the Spectrum Retreat. Like, I'm just worried that I'm going to get into it and I'm not going to be able to get all the way in and I don't want to, like... It's not going to be good for anyone involved if I review this. So I passed on it. And then, by the grace of video game God, you um, said, hey, I got a second code and you don't have to review it, but you can have the game anyway. And I said, sure, I'll take it to play to talk about on the show. And I don't want to, like, toot my own horn too much here, but I just want to let you know that I was 100,000% right in the fact that this game is not exactly my cup of tea. So let me explain um, Remothered. And full disclosure, um, I got this uh, code from a publisher to talk about on the show. However, Dan Weissenberger, a former guest of our show, and... uh, frequent, very frequent, frequent writer at Game Critics. He reviewed this. He reviewed it very favorably. Um, I'm going to say some not so favorable things about it. So, uh, but keep in mind that there, I mean, he really liked it. So take whatever I say with a grain of salt. Actually take anything I ever say ever in my entire life with a grain of salt. (laughs) Just, just by the way. Um, But Remothered is a game. It's a third person survival, kind of survival horror game where you play as a woman, and I'm glad that Dan wrote this in in his review because it was the first thing I thought, too. You play as a woman who looks strikingly similar to Jodie Foster in Silence of the Lambs. Like, she looks... It looks like they just took her and scanned her when she was doing Silence of the Lambs and her, like, FBI, like, pantsuit thing and just put her directly in the game, which is cool. I'm all for it, but it's, like, bizarre how much she looks like uh, Clarice from... Silence of the Lambs, but that's kind of beside... I mean, it's not really beside the point, but it's kind of beside the point. You play as her. She goes to this mansion to check in with a guy, uh, like an old guy who's sick with some kind of disease that he was hospitalized for, and they couldn't, like, solve the problem for him. And she goes um, to check in with him and his housekeeper to say, like, hey, I know he's off the case, but there's some stuff that I want to check in with him about um, because he's no longer admitted to the hospital and he's no longer being treated for whatever sickness he has. Um, the the game from the get go has a very like strange vibe, like and it's kind of a good vibe where it's like things are like very. It's kind of like a Silent Hill in a way where like things like are just very slightly strange, and you can't quite put your finger on any one certain thing that makes the game seem strange. But it's just built up to good like atmosphere and good world building, like. When you knock on the door and the housekeeper answers it, like, just the way she talks is kind of like, you're immediately like, hmm, I'm not sure everything is legit that's going on here. And so it kind of has this creep factor, which is good. So you go up to the room, you talk to the guy in his office, I can't remember his name, like the father of the household, and then it takes this weird turn where all of a sudden the main character, and I cannot remember her name to save my life, so if I refer to her as Clarice or Jodie Foster, just roll with it, um... Uh, she starts, like, asking him about his daughter who disappeared, and, like, he calls his daughter by one name, and she calls, uh, Jodie Foster calls the daughter by a different name, and so it's kind of this weird, like, thing where, like, the, the conflict gets high really quickly, and there's not enough, like, build-up crescendo into it to where I was kind of, like, immediately, like, what the fuck's going on here? Like, 
you go in thinking that you're going to talk to this guy about some kind of like medical evaluation thing. And then all of a sudden she starts like interrogating him about his like lost daughter. And there's like kind of like a weird, I'm like, she was supposed to be kidnapped. And like, you're maybe kind of sort of under the impression that maybe like Jodie Foster is his daughter, but the game never quite says it. But I, I wouldn't be shocked if that ends up being like the reveal at the end of the game, or maybe it's a big red herring. I did not finish the game. I want to make that clear right now, by the way. Um, and then it immediately turns into, like, you're supposed to leave the house, but um, the house is pretty deserted, so you leave, and then I think it's, like, the next night, or maybe it's even the night of the game, doesn't make it very clear, um, she goes back to the house to kind of, like, snoop around and do some more investigating and tries to break in. So she finds a key, you get in the house, and you discover that the guy, his wife, who takes care of him whenever the housekeeper is on her off hours and gone... Um, uh, Jodie Foster wants to go and talk to his wife to see, like, if she can answer any questions or what's going on. So she does the sensible thing that any medical practitioner would do. She breaks into the house to talk to the wife, and um, the wife ends up being dead. And that's, like, kind of a spoiler, but it happens in the first, like, 15 minutes of the game, so it's not that big of a thing. The wife is, like, dead, and it turns out that the guy that she talked to, like, the head house dude is like, of course, because this is a survival horror game, he's some weird, like, killer, and he has, like, a sickle, and he's wearing this, like, leather apron thing. Um, and so it turns into a game that's basically, like, a hide-from-stuff game, and very rarely am I up for a game that's purely about hiding from stuff. Like, very rarely do they click with me. Because I believe that survival horror games are made better whenever there's combat. And by combat, I mean, like, having a weapon and having agency over the weapon. This game has combat, but it only has combat in the sense of you have a defensive weapon on you that's a one-time-use weapon. And if the thing chasing you, um, like, grabs you, you can press a, a series of buttons, kind of like a QTE, to use the defensive weapon. But you can't, like, stalk the thing that's stalking you and, like, attack him first, I guess. It's only defense. And I, uh, like, I, the game is very similar to Clock Tower. I want to uh, put that out there because it's like, if you're familiar with the old Clock Towers, I know you are, Brad, because I know you have your phobia of elevators from Clock Tower. It's very, very, very similar to Clock Tower. So, like, if you're someone who was really into the old Clock Tower games, if you played, what was it, Clock Tower 3 on PlayStation 2, that was kind of like a 3D sequel that wasn't like a, a point and click adventure to it. Like maybe this would be totally up your alley because it's all about like sneaking around this gross mansion, trying to find keys to unlock doors. Sometimes there's a thing that's walking around like stalking you and you have to hide. You can like hide in cabinets or like under couches um, and like wait for him to pass by. And then you can try to like go your own direction and get away from him. Sometimes he'll chase you if he sees you and like, it's like, it, the game reminds me of um, Alien Isolation. And I love, I love Alien Isolation. I think it's like maybe the best survival horror game that's come out in the past like five years. Um, maybe like that and like Soma and maybe like Narcosis. Um, but Alien Isolation is fantastic. But the thing that makes Alien Isolation work so well is that it has these moments where you're in a section of the space station and the alien is very clearly like hunting you and you can hide in cabinets you can hide behind chairs, um, and you you have to, like, wait for it to kind of make its move so you can go in the other direction and get away from it. And you have some, like, decoy things. Like, you can, like, throw, like, a like a thing that makes noise to get it to go one direction. Um, but the thing about Alien Isolation that makes it work is that, unlike Remothered, the entire game is not 
you and the alien and you hiding from the alien and you trying to get away from the alien. There's like moments of downtime in Alien Isolation where you're just exploring the station. Maybe there's like some weird androids around that you kind of have to, um, you can fight them. You, the, you have offensive weapons in Alien Isolation, which also makes it work. So you can fight stuff head on or you can sneak around, but the androids are usually placed in ways that make it kind of easy to sneak around and they have like set paths, whereas in Remothered or when the alien shows up, it's kind of like more random, like where the enemy's going to go. And Remothered, as far as I've played, I played it for about 45 minutes to an hour. It does not have like a downtime thing. Like you have downtime in the beginning whenever the story's ramping up, you're getting to the mansion, you're figuring out what's going on. But once the game takes off and you're in the mansion... It's just, like, you sneaking around this mansion, and you can sometimes, like, hear the guy who's stalking you kind of, like, you know, shouting and talking to himself around the hallways, and you're supposed to, like, pay attention to where the sounds are coming from to try to get away from him. But, like, in my opinion, when you have a game like this where it's, like, all chasing and stalking and all, like, you having to be on high alert and it's all, like, high tension, um, you know, you having to be on the edge of your seat... If that's, like, the default for the game, then I don't think it's very effective. I think you need to have the high moments where things are chasing and you're hiding from stuff. And then you ha- you need to have the low moments where you're just walking around and exploring. It's kind of like Resident Evil, too. I mean, when you're playing Resident Evil, you don't walk into a room and there's, like, three zombies and a zombie dog in every single room. I mean, there's moments where you're walking around the mansion, and I'm referring to the first one in this case, where you're just exploring and you're walking around, you're finding keys, you're not necessarily worried about like there being enemies in every single room hunting you. So it has a good mix of like, you know, times where you walk into a room and there's something there and you either have to decide if you want to fight it or get away, or there's just times where you're just exploring. And Remothered, it's too based in constantly having something stalk you, having to hide, having to move slowly, having to figure out where the thing's coming from. And then, like, the first time I got... Like, the game was doing a good job of tutorializing stuff as far as using, like, defensive weapons and using, um, like, keys and using your flashlight. And you can, like, pick up items and throw them to, like, make the guy go in one direction, which is nice, like a little kind of decoy or, like, distraction item. But the first time the guy grabbed me... The game literally tutorialized how to use defensive weapons in the moment that I was grabbed without, like, pausing the game to let me know what was going on. Oh, no. Yeah, it was awful. And so, like, it was really disappointing because the game had been tutorializing everything really well up until that point and kind of, like, explaining how to use things. And then, like, I'm, like, trying to sneak up the staircase and I didn't realize that he was around the corner on the staircase, which was admittedly very scary. And, like, I go up, and he's, like, right there, and he, like, grabs me, and I'm, I don't know what to do. And I'm, like, oh, God, I need to use my defensive weapon. And then, like, it has, like, tutorial text, but it doesn't pause the game. And it turns out that it's this thing where you have to, like, there's, like, a circle on the screen, and you have to, like, move the thumbstick to keep this cursor, I think, in the circle as the circle gets smaller or something like that. The game had not tutorialized that for me at all up until that point. And, like, if you're waiting until the thing grabs you to tutorialize this and not tell you beforehand and not pause the game so you can understand what you're doing like that's incredibly yeah, problematic. yeah that is incredibly a bad decision oh, i can't <laughs> believe they even did that that is ridiculous yeah and i mean luckily like he didn't kill me like i was able i fail i think i failed like the the whatever the tutorial was but i was still able to use a defensive weapon i think so it wasn't like a one and done i died and that was it i mean he did injure me a lot and i had to like stumble away and like hide in a cabinet 
Um, but it's like, I, I don't, the, the default of your game cannot be constantly being hunted and constantly having to be stealthy and constantly having to be on alert while you're trying to make your way around this giant mansion and like find keys and solve puzzles and open doors and all this stuff. Like there has to be more ups and downs in the gameplay. And I mean, the nice thing is that whenever I read Dan's review on Game Critics, because I went back and I skimmed his review, um, the thing that I was happy with was that he said that it only took him about three to four hours to finish the game. And that makes me a little bit happier. That makes me more likely to maybe go back and give it a second shot because I put it in and I was expecting it to be this like big, like 10 hour adventure where you're like constantly on high alert and constantly sneaking. But I mean, three hours is like a little bit more manageable because I'm already like an hour in. So I'm pretty much like a third, maybe a quarter of the way through as it is now, which is, you know, I guess um, reassuring, but I just, I don't think there's enough variation in the gameplay to keep me in. And there's just like some gameplay choices that I don't necessarily agree with and can't get on board with. But with that said, like I said earlier, grain of salt, Dan loved it. He likes horror games. Um, if you like clock tower, maybe this will be up your alley. It has good atmosphere. It's creepy. Um, the, it has a female protagonist, which I think is great, but I just, there's just stuff about it that I can't quite get on board with. I was really looking at this one for some reason. Something about it kind of caught my attention. And you know I don't play horror games anymore, or I, I very, very, very seldom do. But something about this one looked interesting um, until you told me about the running and hiding. And I'm like, okay, never mind. I don't do those anymore. Um, it does sound a lot like Clock Tower. It sounds a lot like Haunting Ground, if you played Haunting Ground back in the day. Uh, does, is, it, is it like Outlast as well in that same vein, right? Yeah, it's pretty... I mean, Alice is first person, so that's kind of the big change, but it's pretty similar in gameplay scope. Okay, so I'm not really a customer for being chased at all like that. That doesn't sound like a good time. I didn't like Alien Isolation either, so I was not a fan of that. So uh, I'm, I'm going to give this one a pass. It looked interesting. I, I love hearing about it, but I'm, I definitely don't think I'm going to play. And thank you for um, letting me off the hook. Now that you have given it the dismissal, <laughs> I can put it out of my mind and never think about it again. I'm happy to vet survival horror games for you. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Anytime I think I'm going to play some horror game, I will definitely um, buy you a copy first and let you play through that <laughs> in its entirety. And then I will wait for your final verdict before I pick anything up these days. Because, God, I just I'm just not in that zone. I am just not in that zone. But anyway, uh, OK, let's move on real quick. Doing quick time check. We've got about 27 minutes before you've got to go. <laughs> I think we can probably do this. Let's do it quickly. Um, the other game that I want to talk about today is also under embargo. Uh, but I think that, again, by the time the show's out, it'll be fine. Uh, Monster Hunter Generations Ultimate, which I'm a little bit confused why it's under embargo, because we got Monster Hunter Generations a while ago. Um, this has been out in Japan for quite a while, and it's not really new. I don't know why they're so concerned about the embargo. Anyway, I'm not going to talk too long about it, uh, because it, there's not really like a lot to say. But So this is Monster Hunter Generations Ultimate. It's on the Switch. And this is the one... Okay, so just... I gotta, I gotta just be an asshole for a second here. Please excuse me. Um, but this is the game when Monster Hunter World was coming out that a certain percentage of the Twitter population would not shut the fuck up about this game. <laughs> they were flipping out because they were so mad because Capcom did not announce any plans for this particular game, Generations Ultimate. They did not announce any plans. 
And I was like, you guys, chill the fuck out. Like, they need to get Monster Hunter World off the ground. It's a giant step for them, which turned out to be a huge success. So it was great. I think they handled it correctly. They needed all eyes on World. They needed to focus all their energy on that. Of course, they wouldn't announce something else at the same time. Of course, they wouldn't try to launch two games at the same time. It was fucking madness for anybody to think that. And everybody needed to just just take a fucking deep breath and, and just chill. And, like, <laughs> people were on fire about, ah, they're not going to bring out Generations. Ah, I went for this one. Ah, where's it going? Like, fuck off. It was so out of control. Like, every day, for, like, two or three weeks, every single day, that was all that was in my feed was people bitching about this game, not coming out to the fucking Switch, not coming to America. Here it is. You happy? It's here. They brought it out, all right? Chill out. Oh, that was so fucking annoying. Anyway... Uh, Monster Hunter Generations Ultimate, it is, as far as I can tell, almost exactly the same as Generations. I don't have, like, the PR rap sheet in front of me, so I cannot tell you exactly what's different, um, because I'm kind of just, I got the code and I'm kind of just playing it. I'm not going to be reviewing it. Um, somebody else is going to be, I think Steve Gillum is going to be reviewing it for us, who is a great guy, great writer. He doesn't write for us very often, but when he does, he does a great job. I love Steve. Uh, so he's going to be covering it. So I'm just kind of playing it for the show here. And as far as I can tell, it's basically the same thing as Generations. This is um, the previous previous entry in the Monster Hunter series. Uh, and if you jumped in on Monster Hunter World, this is like a splash of ice cold water to the face. It is a very <laughs> different experience. Um, you're still a monster hunter. You're still hunting monsters. I mean, the core idea is the same. Taking big weapons in a vaguely, I don't know, kind of prehistoric, medieval sort of a time period and attacking these monsters, killing monsters to get their skins and teeth and claws and you make better weapons with those bits and then those better weapons let you take on bigger monsters. I mean, it's all the same at a, at a fundamental level. Um, but the graphics are, of course, different because it's on the Switch. So it's uh, um, the older style graphics, which I think are actually cool. I really like the older style graphics. I think the art style is actually much better. I prefer the aesthetics of this game, Generations, than I do to World. I don't like World's aesthetics very much. Um, but apart from that, a lot of the old systems are still here that Monster Hunter World did a great job in streamlining. So it's really tough in some ways to take a step backwards to give up a lot of the quality of life things. Like, for example, um, when you go out into the world, you will find, like, bugs to collect, and there are rocks to pick up, and there are plants to harvest and you can use these things to make potions or you can make sometimes those will be required to make a weapon or to make a piece of armor or something and in monster in a world you just pick it up and you go along your merry way and it's fine and a lot of times they don't even count that as towards your inventory limit because they're like oh it's just a resource we know you need this and it's just, we don't want it to be a drag we'll just let you pick it up and just go keep playing right not the case. Not the case. That was not traditionally how Monster Hunter did it. Like, it used to count as though when you picked those things up, that was an inventory limit. And you needed to, for example, if you wanted to harvest metal from a rock, you needed to have a pickaxe. If you did not have the pickaxe with you, you could not harvest the metal. If you wanted to catch a bug, you needed to have the bug net. And if you did not have the bug net, too bad for you. You could not catch the bug. Um, it's like a little thing, but it's like a couple extra steps that you need to remember to actually go buy those things, buy the pickaxe, buy the bug net. You need those take up a slot in your inventory. When you go out to the world, the, the stuff you collect takes up slots in your inventory. So, like, it's a lot more cruff to get through that I was really happy to see gone in Monster Hunter World. I thought that was a great addition of, uh, well, a, a great subtraction, actually, that they didn't make you work with that anymore. Um, a lot of other little things like that where there's just, like, little quality of life things that Monster Hunter did a great job. Monster Hunter World, excuse me, World did a great job of streamlining. And if you learned the game 
from Monster Hunter World, you'll be like, what, what's going on? Why do I got to do all these 10 extra steps? Well, this is a, a hassle. Why is this extra menu here? I don't want to do like, it. It feels like a lot more busy work. So that is traditionally what Monster Hunter has done. And I celebrated it when World left that stuff behind. So please be aware that that's there. Um, the only other like really major thing to mention is I haven't done this yet, but I think that the SOS system is totally different in generations. I think uh, I got to dip into it. I haven't checked it out yet, but I'm pretty sure it's 100% different. Whereas in Monster World, you start a mission, you send off a flare. If you need help, somebody joins you. I do not believe that's the case here. I think um, if memory serves, you have to actually go to a lobby and meet people and start off on a quest together. I'm pretty sure that's how it works. I'll have more to say on that later. Um, but the other big change is that a lot of the weapons are changed and streamlined. A lot of the moveset you have is different. And they really, they, they paired it back in a way that I felt really worked. It was very flowy and simple and easy to grasp. Um despite all the different nuances of the game. But when you come back to Generations Ultimate, there's a system that does not even exist in Monster Hunter World. It's called the uh, Hunter Arts system, I think. And it's very fighting game-ish or RPG-ish where you, you whack a monster and to fill up a bar. And when the bar fills up, you have like, like legit a special move. Like you can do like a fireball or you can do like a special powered up sword swing or you can do some kind of shielding or something like it, it is like literally build up this bar when the time is right, do this spe special move. And then you do that. And that system is not 100% not in monster in the world. And I got to be honest, I'm not really a big fan of that system. Feels a little bit too gamey to me. Feels a little bit, um, just like one extra thing that I don't want to manage. Um, additionally, there are a couple of systems and generations that do not exist in the world. Uh, in generations, you can, manage your cats you have these little cats that go along with you um as partners uh when you play the game they're like little helpers and they'll attack monsters for you they're your little buddies um there's a lot more to do with those guys in generations there's all sorts of stuff you can equip on them you can train them certain ways uh, they have special abilities you can mix and match you can teach them different i mean it's really fucking in depth and also you can actually be a cat if you want to so if you don't like to be human you can switch over i think they're called prowlers and you can be a little cat that like just on your own has a different moveset, has different abilities. That's a whole other big fucking thing. There's also this whole thing in Generations called Styles, which does not exist in World, where there's like six different styles you can have, and sometimes they give you extra moves, sometimes they take away moves, sometimes it changes how you guard, sometimes it changes how your meters build up. It's really, 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 really super in-depth. The game does not tell you fuck all about it, <laughs> so you will have to absolutely go on to like YouTube. I recommend Gaijin Hunter's um, videos. He does really good, clear, understandable videos. He's like uh, the super sensei when it comes to Monster Hunter stuff, so Gaijin Hunter is the guy to go see on YouTube. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, there's many, many, many layers of stuff that just do not exist in world. And while I think it's fine to have a game that's complicated and have all these details, sometimes it feels like a little bit too much. And I think that before world came out, I actually didn't finish generations because this one felt like a little bit too much to me. Um, so this is the one where I kind of just fell out of monster hunter and coming back to it. Um, I mean, I like some parts of it. It was nice to see some of this stuff come back, but I still feel like it's like a lot. Um, I hear the kids today saying that some things are extra. I don't know if this is extra. It might possibly be extra. Does that sound like proper use of that term, Corey? <laughs> um, extra, uh, maybe, maybe. I don't know. I don't Usually, know. like whenever I think of the word extra, I think of when somebody's like, like they're like 
too dressed up for the occasion that they're at and they're like being too dramatic and they're just being extra about it. That's sort of what I think of. Okay, I think that's appropriate then. I think that's pretty much (laughs) what I want to say because this game feels a little bit on the extra side and I kind of, I so I appreciate World streaming things back, cutting away the cruft, giving you quality of life improvements. Uh, But at the same time, I got to be honest, I like the monsters better in Generations. I like the art style better in Generations. Um, I like the weapons better in Generations. So it's like six of one, half dozen of the other. I don't think either one is necessarily better than the other, but I think it probably depends on which way you swing. Um, so it's there. It's coming out. It looks good. It functions well on Switch. I haven't tested multiplayer yet. I'm sure it's going to be fine. Um, but yeah, just just be aware that if you are one of the newcomers to Monster Hunter, welcome. Glad to have you aboard. Um, but be ready for a big slap in the face if you start Generations Ultimate because a lot of this is going to be 100% night and day different from world. <laughs> so just be ready for that big learning curve. Check out um, Gaijin Hunter's videos. Check out the wiki. And other than that, God help you, because the game does not tell you jack shit about anything. So that is my take on Monster Hunter Generations. Any any thoughts, Corey? I know you're probably raring to jump into this. Oh, totally. You know you know me. It's right up my alley. Um, I, uh, I was just thinking while you were talking about that, that if anybody, myself included, listening to this show has ever doubted ever whenever you ha- have claimed several times over to be a Monster Hunter expert who has played probably 5,000 hours of Monster Hunter, all games included. And if anybody ever thought you were lying about any of that, um, I would guess that all the shit that you just said about monster comparing Monster Hunter games in your monologue uh, could dispel any of those myths about you did, not knowing did, what we're talking about. <laughs> did you understand a single word of anything that I said? <laughs> uh, not really, but I was thinking like the best game that I've played that I could parallel this with that I was thinking about is whenever we went from Mass Effect 1 to Mass Effect 2 and like Mass Effect 2 cut off a lot of like the RPG fat that was on Mass Effect 1 and there were a lot of people that were like, oh, it's too streamlined, it's too much of a shooter, it's not, there's not enough customization, there's not enough options, there's not enough inventory management, there's not enough of these systems that we had in the first game. And meanwhile, I played Mass Effect, because I played the first one, then I played the second one, and I was like, hell yeah, like, cut off all of this awful, bad inventory management, like, goodbye, good riddance, see you later, I'm glad to be playing a game that feels more streamlined, and that seems like the only, um, that was the first thing that came to mind whenever you were talking about, like, systems that didn't exist at all that have come back or that have been re-implemented between the two games and how different they are, I immediately started thinking about the differences between Mass Effect and then 2 and 3 that came after. That is a really good comparison. I was actually one of the people who missed a lot of the stuff that got taken out of Mass Effect 1. I thought 2 was too streamlined for me. So I I was like, oh, man, I want to do some of this thinking around (laughs) with the the stuff. So, I mean, and it's fun. I mean, I think there's merit in both sides. I don't think either one is better than the other. But I I liked stuff being taken away from Monster Hunter World. Um, But, yeah, I mean, having some of it come back. I don't know. I got mixed feelings about it. So I'm going to (laughs) keep chipping away, and we shall see. But, uh, yeah, there we go. Um, Quick time check, 15 minutes. I will let you tell us when you need to go, Corey. Um, In the meantime, uh, why don't you tell us really quickly about your Switch update and also an update for the HTC Vive. Yeah, so, okay, so I'll make these quick. And we're not, like, it doesn't have to be exactly 15 minutes, so we're fine. I mean... Um, okay. I don't want to hold you back. So let us know when you, let us know when you got to go. We all understand, but I'll give a quick update about, so last on the last show, I talked about buying a switch and, um, 
I you had talked a lot about Judge, and I was interested in it. And of course, I go to the Nintendo store, and it's not on sale. It is fourteen ninety nine, which is ridiculous because usually it's on sale on PS four for like three or four dollars. But I felt a little bit better because I went to the PlayStation Network, and it was also fourteen ninety nine on PSN, and it wasn't on a current sale. So I felt a little bit better about. The price is being the same. It's also $14.99 on Steam if it's not on sale. So that was kind of good news. I have not bought it yet. I'm going to wait for a sale. But I did buy, like I said, I thought I was going to. I bought Resident Evil Revelations 2, which I've played before on PS4. But that's been a really good um, just sort of like entry-level game for me to play to get into the Switch. I have played it almost every way I can. Usually I play it with the Joy-Cons attached to the screen, just playing it in handheld mode on the couch or in bed. I have played it with the Joy-Cons detached and it propped up on the coffee table, having the Joy-Cons separate. I've plugged the Joy-Cons into the black controller piece that it comes with, have played it both sitting on the coffee table that way, and I actually had the Switch for about five days before I actually plugged it into the TV and played it on the TV. And for some reason, whenever I plugged it into the TV and played it on the TV, I was expecting the game to look better. But it actually <laughs> looks worse. It works worse. Yeah, they do. I was, it's funny you say that because that is like the, the unknown secret of the Switch. It looks better in handheld mode, like almost 99 times out of 100. You put it up on the TV, you're like, oh, oh no, nah, let's get it back in handheld. It looks better over there. Yeah. I mean, and it doesn't. And first of all, like Resident Evil Revelations 2 is not some like graphical powerhouse game. I mean, it looks like a PlayStation 3 era game, which is fine. I mean, it doesn't have to be like... Resident Evil 6 levels of detail. I don't need that in a game. But after having played it on PlayStation 4 and then seeing it in handheld mode on Switch and seeing it on the TV, I was like, oh, man, this... like Just, like, the draw distance of things on the TV version is really terrible. But it's still playable. It's still perfectly fine. And I actually liked... Um, using the little black controller thing that you plug the Joy-Cons into. I like using that a lot more than I thought I was going to. So, like, um, it just took me... When I played in handheld mode with the Joy-Cons on the sides of the screen, it took me like a little while to get used to the sensitivity of the analog sticks because they're a little like small and sensitive for yeah, me. Yeah, they are. Um, same, same, same. So that, and when I mean, and whenever you're playing a shooter, that's kind of a big deal because like Resident Evil has a lot of shooting and you can shoot like the legs on enemies to make them fall down and stuff like that and like aim for the head and stuff like that for more damage. But luckily, Resident Evil Revelations 2 has good camera sensitivity controls and the options have been used. So I was able to just go in and try to fine tune that as much as possible. Um, but that's my Switch update for now. It's not breathtaking. I've only played that in North so far. I have Judge on my witch list. Um, Gamefly sent Doom. So I will have that probably on Tuesday, I'm guessing, is when it'll get here early next week. I'll probably talk about that on the show we record next week, just how Doom fares on Switch versus... Uh, PS4. But the other big thing I want to talk about, and I'll keep this brief too, because I don't have a lot to say about it, is, um, um, I mean, I, me talking on the show, it probably sounds like I'm in some like giant upper class family that can just afford to buy everything ever because I bought a Switch last week. And then literally like four days later, Patrick bought an HTC Vive, which is a VR set for our household. And it's weird because like, you always, like, know the friend who has VR, that you go over to their house and you experiment with VR. Like, about a year ago, I talked on the show about going over to Patrick's friend uh, Jay's house, which is was my first experience with VR. He had an HTC Vive also, and I played a few games there. And then about six months later, I played on an Oculus, and I played Super Hot VR and some other games, and I talked about that on the show as well. 
But now I am the friend that has VR. So I have, uh, in in a span of a week, I upgraded my gaming systems to buy a Switch. And now I have a VR set. So it's weird. I am now the person who has VR. And um, I don't have a ton to say about VR. I think it's cool. I don't think it's like, you know, something that everybody needs. I have been playing Superhot a lot. Superhot VR if you have VR or you have a friend who has VR and they don't own super hot VR and you haven't played it, you are doing a massive disservice to yourself and your VR system and your friend's <laughs> VR system you are bad by not people. having played it. Because super hot VR is like, it is the killer app for VR. I have never played a game that makes me feel cooler in the moment than when I'm playing super hot VR because it works. I know I've talked about it on the show before, but it works just like the console game, except for it's in VR. You have the headset on, you have the controllers for your hands in front of you. And when as quickly as you move is how the enemies move. And if you're standing still, they're standing still, but it cons the whole game feels like, you're playing one long sequence of the lobby shootout in the matrix. Like that's what it feels like. Cause you're basically playing the game in slow motion. You have like guns and bottles and knives for the most part in front of you whenever you spawn into levels and you can like pick up a bottle off the table in front of you and you could throw it at an enemy and then you pick up a gun and you can like shoot. You don't even have to be the thing that I love the most about VR. And this is such a silly thing is that you can shoot in one direction and be looking in a different direction. So like I had two submachine guns in my hands and I put them, I was aiming at one enemy on my left, one enemy on my right. And obviously I can only look at one of them. So I'm looking at the enemy on my right and I shoot both guns at the same time. And I look back to the left and I had shot successfully shot the guy on the left without looking at him. And that sounds like such a silly thing, but it just feels so cool to have that much agency over just like your body and the guns and the way you play and the weapons. And there are certain times where like I had a knife in each hand and I would like, you know, just like swipe the knife in both directions, uh, you know, one on my left, one on my right. And I would like kill both the enemies on the sides of me. And it just feels like so cool. You feel like a superhero or you feel like Neo in the matrix. And it's just like a really great experience. So um, I cannot say enough good things about super hot VR. It is incredible. Like, like I said, if you have VR, you haven't, um, played it or you have a friend who has VR and they haven't played it. Super hot VR is, I would say without a doubt, the best game for VR. And as far as I know, it's out on every system. Now it's on PSVR. It was Oculus exclusive for a while, but it's now on PSVR. It's on HTC Vive. So if you have any VR system, it should be available to you and it's magical and I love it. And I'm sure I will be giving updates on VR games in the future as I play more of them. Cause I've only had it for like three or four days. Um, so if we get some VR stuff rolling in at Game Critics to review, I can certainly play that kind of stuff too for review now that I have access to it. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't have a whole lot of other a whole lot of other things to say. Um, do you have any questions about Switch or my VR experience before we move on? Um, two things. Switch sounds fine. Uh, I just wanted to say that I finished Judge last night and I thought it was really good. Definitely worth the money when you get around to it. Also, ironically. Um, one of the final things that you unlock is a super hot mode in Judge, and they even oh. call it. Don't get too excited because I think it works a lot differently top down than it does uh. um, in other games. But I thought it was really funny because you unlock this item that says time only moves when you move, and it's like be careful. There's no cooling system. It might get super hot. <laughs> <laughs> that's so cute. I thought it was very cute. A very cute little like Easter egg thrown in there. So um, oh, that's really cool. Other the only other thing I have to say it sounds fine. I look forward to hearing more impressions. I am not on the VR train. Yet, don't think that I probably will be until my son probably turns, like, 17 when he wants to. My youngest son turns 17. Because he's very curious about VR. 
and he's got a friend who has one, but I don't want my son to get into it because I feel like number one, the jury is still out about whether it does any damage to your eyes when you're still growing. Mm, um, so I've yeah. heard, I've heard some questions about that. Also, I think that there's a real potential for like PTSD and I think people are really underselling that. Um, so I'm kind of holding off. He's a very sensitive kid in some ways and I don't want him getting freaked out by jump scares in VR. Um, so I'm kind of, I'm, I'm keeping away from that, but I, I feel like when he gets older, he will want to do it. And if he wants to do it, then I'll do it with him. Maybe we'll get like three sets at some point and we'll just all be in the matrix together as a family or something. <laughs> um, but the only other thing I need from you at this point is the next time you play this game, I need you to give your phone to Patrick and I need him to film you <laughs> as you're playing this. And I need you to send me that video. So that is the next thing that needs to happen. Uh, I, I await, I await that footage and then we will discuss. Uh, or better yet, if you stay true to your plans of coming to New Orleans this winter, first of all, you can just watch me play it in real life. And second of all, you can play it yourself whenever you're here. And then you can see all that uh, in real life. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. TBD. TBD. Uh, plans are still in works, but uh, we'll see about that VR shit. Anyway. Um, okay, cool, cool. That all sounds good. And we are pretty short on time. You want to rush through our last little bit? You got time for that? Yeah, let's talk about it. And speaking of VR, this is kind of a good segue, too. Okay, cool. So I hipped you to the fact that Transference has a demo up on PS4. It was originally a VR-only game, but now they are putting it out with a non-VR mode, which I think many, many, many developers are doing these days, where either it comes out as both, or they'll put it out as VR first, and then a month later, here comes your non-VR mode, because I guess the sales are just not there. Um, that's a whole different discussion. <laughs> This is one that I believe Elijah Wood is involved in. Is that correct? Yeah, his um, he has like an indie horror film like distribution company or something. And I mean, who knows, you know, exactly how like hands on he is with the game. He could just slap his name on it. Who knows? But he his name is part of the production for the game. But it's a joint effort between I think his film company and ubisoft like ubisoft is publishing it but it's like a partnership between them as far as i know okay so i wasn't sure if he was in it or what his role was but i guess maybe he's moving on a producer or something whatever that's fine um so i didn't really know anything about this other than the fact that elijah wood was attached and it was like a vr horror game of some sort uh, basically uh it's a very short demo uh like 20 minutes or so um and what you do is when you start off you look at a, a a video of a scientist who's like, Hey, thanks for being part of our project. We're researching the human brain and we have mapped memories into a VR space. And I mean, like just pause for a second here. Every fucking VR game does that. Every game does that. I'm so tired of going into people's memories. I'm so tired of that. You want to know what I'm not tired of? What are you not tired this of? This whole gaming scenario. I am all for it. The whole, like <laughs> the whole, the whole, cause every, I say this on every single show when we talk about a game like this, but it reminds me of the movie, the cell with Jennifer Lopez. It's like, I gotta, you have watch, this person, I gotta watch it. They have a fucked up mind. Something happened to them. And guess what? Motherfucker, you're diving into their mind to see what's going on in there. I am all for it. Okay, you're all for it. I'm tired of it. I'm like, I'm ready for, I'm ready for people to move on to do something else. I'm so tired of this. My eyes were rolling when this guy was like, come inside this guy's mind and he's got PTSD and we're going to be doing some VR stuff and it's going to be pretty cool. I'm like, oh, Jesus fucking Christ. Can we not do something a little different these days? Uh, so you go, you, you, apparently either you strap on your VR helmet. I didn't have a VR helmet. I just had my regular TV and controller. So I went into it in a, a flat way. Um, and, you just do this little demo. Do you want to you want to tell us about it, Corey? 
Yeah, so the demo, you start out, and it's short. Like, it's like 20 minutes or so long. I mean, and maybe there's stuff you can do that I didn't discover. But um, you start out, you kind of, this house, it's in first person, obviously. I didn't play it in VR either, because despite having HTC Vive, I wish I could just plug that into the PS4 in a way I could go, but I can't do that. Um, so I played it on a TV as well. Um, the, you start, and you're, it's in first person, and this, like, kind of, like, very small house kind of, like, uh it kind of like appears in front of you. It kind of like uh, forms in front of you. You're in the hallway in the entranceway. Um, everything is lit kind of extravagantly. Like the house is kind of like lit like pink and purple and green. Like it's not like a like regular house lighting. Wait, wait, wait. Um, is it is it bisexually lit or is it extra lit? I mean, it's uh, some of it is bisexually lit, but it's not like overbearingly. It's just kind of like lit in like an 80s way. Um, I mean, it could be considered extra, but it's more of just like an artistic expression rather than it being lit by some like yellow lamp in a living room or something, um, which I'm okay with. You know, whatever. It's fine. Um, it's it's either this or a fucking grab Dre or Dre. I'm gray and <laughs> gray and... Um, We're gonna grab Dre and drop some beats and get this VR. No, not that. <laughs> Lay down some um, tracks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's either like this like sort of extra lighting or it's you know like a boring like household or you know a a gray and brown background so you know this is fine it's it doesn't look like something i've seen before but this house forms in front of you and basically it's not very big there's like a kitchen on your right there's a living room on your left there's a tea like the the hall comes to a tea in front of you there's like a room on the left a room on the right but you can't go in any of the rooms except the living room and the kitchen and there's a basement that you eventually get into but you're like kind of like walking around this house cautiously and you can hear like arguments going on and like you're not sure if they're like in a room that you can't get access to and it sounds like it's like a son like a maybe like a teenage son arguing with his dad and you can pick up on some of what they're arguing about and like you go into the living room and there's like uh, there's pictures on the wall there's a TV um y- you learn pretty quickly that somebody in the household has been involved in the army because there's like a like an air force picture or something on the bookshelf and you look at it and i mean basically you're just exploring the house and then eventually you kind of like shift back and forth between two times like there's a part where you like turn on a light switch and then the game blacks out and it kind of like fast forwards you i think it's between like 1993 is one time slot and then it's like 2002 or 2003 for another time slot and, like, as you go through these rooms, sometimes the screen will black out. And it'll, like, transport you back to the other um, time slot. And you have to, like, pick up an item, like a key in 1993. And then you transport to, like, 2002. And you can use the key to get to the basement. And, I mean, it's basically, like, there's not a whole lot to it. You're just kind of exploring the house. There's a couple of jump scares. Um, it's obvious that the person who's had your in is kind of unstable. But they kind of spell that out for you at the beginning. Eventually, you get into the basement. You kind of learn that somebody in the household was in a war, was in, like, the war on Terra after 9-11. So it's, like, slightly reality-based. And, um, you know, they have PTSD and, like, maybe weren't a good... um, Like, they weren't a very good parent. There's a lot of, like, um, themes kind of similar to the Captain Spirit game that we played a few weeks ago about, like not good parenting and like mental health disorders and you know the son is kind of like wants to take revenge against his dad who had ptsd from being in the war and like this kind of thing and i'm not going to talk about the whole demo because i don't want to spoil it and it's not that long but i mean it's just kind of like the general vibe of it 
Um, I liked it. I didn't love it, but I thought it was fine. Um, it's kind of too short to really do anything with. Like, it just kind of gives you, like, a sense of what the game might look like and how it'll play. But one thing that really, 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 really pissed me off, and this probably was not an issue for you, and I'm sure that they didn't put this thought into it because it was a VR game, but whenever you start the game, if you're not in VR and you have the controller... There's no pause menu. There's no options menu. I, I hope that there's a day when I never have to say this again on the show, but there's no option to do inverted Y-axis in the controller, and I am an inverted Y-axis kind of guy. And so as soon as I get into it, I immediately press up. The guy looks up, and I'm like, oh, great. I need to switch this. I press the start button. There's no pause menu. There's no options menu to change it. So, like, I mean, this is a game that is developed by professionals published by Ubisoft. This isn't some little indie game that somebody put out on PC and then ported to PS4 and they don't have the option for you to invert the controller. I'm sure the full game will have it. I'm sure they'll patch it, whatever, but that's just like a little like dumb, annoying thing for me that immediately I just like rolled my eyes at because that's such a simple thing that every single game should have. And they didn't have it. But other than that, it's fine. I'm interested in the full release. Um, I think it'll be interesting. I'm hoping that it won't be super hokey and it's VR-ness because you get the sense when you play some VR games like with Resident Evil 7 and with Here They Lie, which I talked about a while back, where there's like very specific things that happen in the game that are like probably a lot more impactful if you're in VR and whenever you're not in VR, they just feel kind of stale or feel kind of forced. And I'm worried that this game is going to do a little bit of that if you're not in VR. But, I mean, I don't really know if there's, like, a medium, like, a, a happy medium between the two. I mean, they can't, like, redo parts of the game for non-VR people. But um, I don't know. It was fine. I'm intrigued. I hope the ending product will be good. I can't imagine the end game will be super long. Um, so I don't really know. But I don't know. Those are my thoughts. What did you think about it, Brad? Um, many thoughts. Um, I think first off, I was immediately struck by the, like the no subtitles, no options. Like I get, this is a demo. I'm hoping that the full game will have those options, but I was immediately like, if I, if I couldn't hear this, I would be missing out on like all of the atmosphere and all of the cues because oh, yeah. there's no subtitles and there's constantly talking going on. And if you can't hear it, you don't know that people are talking. You don't know what's going on. You have no context for what's happening. Um, so that is a big problem. I don't know how they're going to solve that, and I know that that is an issue in VR. Uh, but there are many people out there, and we cater to them at Game Critics that uh, have various disabilities. And we have a lot of deaf gamers who come to our website. And if you can't hear anything, that's a problem. If you're, if you're, all of your, or most of your atmosphere depends on hearing stuff, you might want to think about that, or at the very least, give us some pretty good subtitles. So I was put off immediately by that. I was also put off by. Um, just the whole bullshitty, tropey, boring, like, unfreshness of it all. Like, I was like, okay, great. <laughs> I'm in first person. I'm in a spooky house. I'm in someone's fucking memories. Someone's angry. And I'm walking around. And, like, I was, I was like, immediately angry and bored is what I was. Um, because if I, <laughs> and to be, to be honest, if I wasn't angry and bored, I would be scared. And I would rather be angry and bored than scared. And so my mind kind of switched into that mode of where I was like, becoming hypercritical of it because I didn't want to be frightened. And I, I don't want to say that it was frightening. I think I just myself, I'm kind of a scaredy cat these days. Um, I think it was actually, was not very scary at all, but, but, but I was scared anyway, because that's how I am. 
Um, so I was just like, you pick up an item, you can't put the item down. That was kind of annoying, and I didn't exactly know what to do. It took me a long time to figure out what to do. I got actually stuck a couple times. And in a 20-minute demo, I mean, I, I take full responsibility. I didn't figure out how to move between the modes for like a while. And then once I figured it out, I was like, oh, okay, I got it now. But I, I spent too much time wandering around being like not entertained and, and kind of bored <laughs> by it. So I just, it's not my kind of thing. Like I don't like to search and like figure things out. And I know that you like that too. So there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, I am not that kind of gamer. And so for me to like wander a house and try to figure out what's going on. And I just was like, oh my God, I'm getting really bored. And I don't want to play this. And also, when you do the wrong thing, you get like a really nasty jump scare, um, which I did mm, not appreciate, yeah. did not appreciate. And if I was wearing VR, that would freak me out. Like I would get not that it's unsettling or it just, it just scares you like somebody jumping out of a closet at you, which is not fun. I don't enjoy that at all. Um, so everything I saw about this game was like, I am 1000 percent not playing this because it, I did not get a sense that it would be original in the writing department. I'm not up for the VR I don't like the gameplay, so I was like, okay, whatever, 20 minutes of this, and I was good. But I figured you would probably mm. like it a lot more than I did, though. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, like, a little more up my alley. But what, what you said about this actually reminds me of what I said about Remothered, where it's like, whenever I figured out that Remothered is mostly just a game about, like, you hiding and stuff stalking you, I just kind of got bored and critical of it, too. Like, it didn't become scary to me anymore. So, like, the effect that this game had on you, which was more of a positive effect on me was the same effect that Remothered had on me, which, I mean, I'm assuming would be a negative effect on you too, but I, I kind of like that both of our brains go that direction where it's like, oh, this is supposed to be scary, but really I'm not into it and I'm bored, so this is not entertaining for me anymore. Totally, totally. I clicked into that mode pretty quickly, and I just found myself getting just really annoyed with it. So definitely not the kind of game for me. Um, I didn't see anything critically that was interesting enough to me, and I don't like these kind of games in general. So to be to be perfectly honest... This one had a pretty high bar to get over if it was going to land with me, and it did not get over that bar. So nothing wrong with that. It's just, just not my thing, and that's totally fine. Um, I'm not. I'm going to forget this game exists. Are you going to check it out when it comes out? Uh, yeah, I will. I'll probably... I don't know. I mean, I doubt it's going to get a physical release, but if it does, I'll gamefly it. Um, if it doesn't, I might wait for a sale. This seems like the kind of game that would be in like the thirty to forty dollar price range, maybe. Um, it also doesn't seem like the game would be super long, so I don't. I don't know. I mean, I don't even know when it's coming out, but I'll be keeping my ear to the ground at Metacritic and seeing what other people say, and then deciding how I feel whenever it probably goes on a sale. I'll eventually buy it. Cool, cool, cool. Well, TBD on that. Um, we are past 12 o'clock but we have one question left you want to hit the question or you want to wrap it up and save the question for next time uh no let's go ahead and do the question because i have an answer for it um okay cool you want to read it out yeah so before we sign off games talk is over y'all um but before we sign off we did get a listener question the other day from a friend of the show who has submitted several questions before uh michael london and he said, uh, what gaming feat are you most proud of? And he gave us the example. He said, I just finished Shovel Knight Platinum Trophy, and it felt damn good. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Corey, you want to go first or want me to go first? Um, I'll go first. Okay. Um, I, and as soon as, he, as soon as I read this question, I knew the immediate answer for it. Um, probably my most proud uh, thing that I've done in gaming is actually, um, I mean, you could call it platinuming, but platinuming didn't exist on the Xbox 360. But when I played the original uh, Deus Ex Human Revolution, I actually platinumed it, if you will, on the Xbox 360. And that includes um, 
playing through the entire game without triggering any alarms, playing through the entire game without killing anyone except for bosses because you have to kill them, uh, playing through the entire game on hard mode, playing through it um, and collecting. There's like little ebooks in the environment. And I distinctly remember playing through the entire game and I was using a guide online to find all the books because I'm not about that life of, um, you know, searching through everything just to make sure I get them. I need to have like a checklist for that kind of achievement. Um, and I remember playing through the whole game and missing a single ebook whenever oh, I played no. the game. And I knew exactly where it was. So in that night when I finished the game, I think on that playthrough I finished the no kills, no alarms uh, run. And maybe the hard mode run, as a matter of fact, all in one. And then I, I remember that night I went back and played through the entire game again. Actually, I don't know if I did the entire game again, but I went through, I started that play immediately when I finished it to do just the ebooks run and I think that run was probably a shit show because all I was trying to do was get all the was get all the books on the way through but getting every single achievement and Deus Ex Human Revolution including every achievement and the DLC that came out for it is probably the thing that I'm most proud of in gaming excellent that sounds like quite an achievement I would have been so Bent out of shape if I had missed one book. I probably would have thrown my entire <laughs> shit out the window and just been done with it. Quit games. Taken up stamp collecting or something. Who knows? That would have driven me insane. But uh, good on you. Good on you. That sounds like quite an achievement. Um, as for me, I picked a couple. I didn't really have just like just one, but I'd had a couple. For me personally, I think probably finishing um, Darkest Dungeon. Not only finishing it, but actually like 100% doing every single thing in the entire game. Um, I talked about it a while ago, but that game, I really love that game a lot. And it just was re it's really difficult, really hard to get through. Um, I started it and stopped it a couple times. And finally, when it came to the Switch and the developers added um, some balancing and they, they put an easy mode in, although honestly, it's not really that easy, um, and did a couple tweaks. When it finally got into a really good place, I felt like this was the time and I... Like I said, I, I I beat every single boss. I collected every single item. I did every single dungeon. I did literally every single thing you could do. And then after I did every single thing you could do, I made a million dollars just because, just to set another goal for myself. So I made a million dollars on top of that. Um, literally did everything in the game. I love that game so much. I think it's great. And it's extremely difficult and really challenging. Um, very complicated. So I'm glad that I did. I got I got the most out of the game. You literally couldn't do anything else in that game. So I was really proud about that. Um, one of my other proudest moments was playing Monster Hunter with my oldest son. Um, back uh, when he was staying with me for the summer, I think we were on the PSP, actually. Uh, we were playing Monster Hunter Freedom Unite, and he really bounced off it. In the beginning, it was very difficult for him at the time. I think he was probably maybe 9 or 10, maybe some, maybe even around that age, 8 or 9 or 10, something like that. He struggled with the controls because uh, we were doing like the claw controls because there was no second stick at that time. And then, you know, Freedom Unite is a very difficult game. It's one of the most difficult ones in the Monster Hunter canon, I would say. Uh, but he took to it. He got over the hump. And we played a lot that summer. And eventually we got to, like, the highest level of the game, which was fighting the Elder Dragons. Um, those guys are no joke. Those guys are really, really hard. Probably some of the hardest shit out there. And he and I got to the point where we were, like, farming some of the Elder Dragons together as a team, which I was super proud of. I didn't... I wasn't sure he was ever going to get there. I wasn't sure he was ever going to be able to do it. And he totally got there. And we did it together, and I was just like, I was so thrilled. Um, we didn't finish the game 100%, uh, because eventually he went back home to uh, his mom, and then we kind of just, like, you know, drifted off of that game. But that summer was amazing. Uh, really proud of him for that. And the other thing that I can mention off the top of my head is playing Helldivers with my wife. Uh, my wife is an amazing uh, game player. She's almost better than me at some, some things. Um, but we played Helldivers, which is... Um, 
I, an ex- again, I mean, you might notice a theme here, an extremely difficult game. Like, I don't, I'm not a masochist, but I do like these games that sometimes offer a good level of challenge. And Helldivers is extremely difficult. Uh, but the two of us together went through, like, literally everything in the game. I think we did every challenge, every boss, every, like, every possible thing you could have done. We did it together, and I was so proud to... Um, play with her and go through that it was just like one of my best uh, best memories ever and in fact we had such a good time with Helldivers I think I mentioned this before but I actually had a custom piece of artwork commissioned that kind of celebrated our time in Helldivers together it's on my um, it's on my wall but I had uh, Alex Connolly friend of mine on Twitter do a custom poster of us as Helldivers and it's like the most badass poster ever I love it so much so <laughs> uh, that is how proud I am of the time we spent in Helldivers so I expect I will probably have a moment like that with my youngest son pretty soon he is rapidly becoming a better gamer than i am um <laughs> but yeah those are my, those are three of my uh, proud moments and i uh, have many many others like them but those are the three for today how cute that they're all family oriented that's so adorable oh that is that is that is what i'm about man family is the best i love my family my family is wonderful and gaming with the family is one of my true joys in life Oh, I just threw up in my mouth a little bit because it's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, swallow it down and let's wrap this up because we got to get you out the door, my friend. All right. Okay. Well, without further ado, uh, this brings us to the end of episode 95. Remember, you can stick around after the ending music to hear tonight's banter. Uh, I talk about college, students moving into the college I work for, um, Brad talks about Xbox One Woes Part 452 and his ongoing series of Xbox issues. Um, and But if you don't want to, feel free to bail now, and you can just stick with the regular games chat. That's perfectly fine. Um, if you want to send us any thoughts, uh, comments, feedback, show ideas, questions, anything else, as we've proven time and time again, if you send us questions, we will answer them on the show. You can email them to us at sovideogamespodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can also post comments on Game Critics' site whenever the show goes live on Game Critics. You can also post comments on SoundCloud whenever shows go live on SoundCloud as well. Um, you can also reach us on Twitter. We are on Twitter at a, as a collective show, at so Video Games on Twitter. You can also reach us individually on Twitter, which is probably the best way to get a hold of us. Um, we're both on Twitter and Instagram. Our handles are the same on both of them. Uh, Brad, would you like to give out your handles? Sure. It is my name, B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y, all A's, no O's. Excellent. Mine is also my first and last name, uh, Corey Motley, C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y for Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Brad, have I left anything out before we wrap up? I don't think so. Uh, That sounds like it, I believe. And thanks again to everybody for uh, listening and for enjoying our random bullshit and... uh, (laughs) spending a couple hours with us it's always a pleasure and a pleasure to uh record again with you sir oh thanks how how sweet of you to say um but that that is it we'll be back next week for episode 96 uh, probably lots of pax talk from brad because he'll be at pax that weekend uh, oh yeah, yeah yeah we may it's, it's i'm glad you mentioned that because it very well may be possible that we'll have a delayed recording because pax is four days i don't imagine we'll have much time to record so if we are a couple days late please forgive us uh, yes, I'm sure that our lovely, lovely listeners will forgive us for being a few days late. Um, They're the best. They're the best. Yeah. I mean, we've actually had several people tell us that they're amazed that we get a show out every week as it is. So if it's delayed a few days, I think that they'll understand. Um, 
But that's it for episode 95. We'll be back next week for episode 96. But until then, this is bye from Corey. And bye from Brad. We'll see you next time. I, uh, God, I don't even have, I don't really have a whole lot this week. I, this week, so I work at a university, I've said on the show before, um, I feel like I haven't said the name of the university and I probably shouldn't just for like, I don't know, like to keep myself safe reasons. But if you Google like universities in New Orleans, you might be able to figure it out. Um, but this week was yeah, move-in week. Rice University, right? Yeah, totally. That one. Uh- <laughs> Sorry, uh, I keep hitting the vampire thing because I think it's so goofy, but go ahead. <laughs> or it's, it's um, I don't know, Bourbon Street University, that one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, we, uh, this week was move-in week, which is weird because I feel like summer just started. And then, because summer doesn't have much of an impact on you once you're like not in school anymore. At least for me, it doesn't. Maybe it does totally, for you. Totally, totally. Well, I guess no. you don't, your kid's not in like school school, so it probably doesn't for you as much either, but... Um, yeah, so, so it's weird for me because, like, summer's, like, officially kind of over and all the students moved back in. And let me tell you, they did not fuck around with bringing their issues to campus as soon as they got back to school because the department I work in, I work in conduct and case management, and we're basically kind of, like, the case management department is kind of, like, the moms of campus where, like, anytime we get, like, the slightest whiff of a concern that like something is happening with the student on campus. We like swoop in with like phone calls and emails to make sure that like the student's okay and do they need any support and, you know, let them know what kind of support networks we have on campus for them, whether it be like financial aid support or um, we have a, uh, a department on our campus that does like, that's like a legal department that helps them like navigate like off campus leases and like the legalities of that stuff or like psychiatric help and that kind of stuff. So that's like oh, one that of the departments. Nice. That sounds pretty nice. It's 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 nice, but I I'm worried that it's too nice because like the the university that I work for is a pretty like prestigious like kind of like I really hate to say this, but it's kind of like a rich white people university. Like it's a lot of the students that go to this university come from very wealthy backgrounds. Their parents are doctors and lawyers. Um, and they have, like, a lot of money that they can throw around. And so, like, it's nice because, obviously, our university is, like, pretty well-funded in that regard. And we get, like, all these, like, grants and everything for research and all this stuff. Um, but at the same time, like, whenever most of your student body is, like, rich kids, it's, like, you have this this weird kind of catch-22 where you have, like, fully grown adults that don't know how to take care of themselves at all in any shape or form because their parents have been (laughs) doing everything for them their entire lives, and they've just been, like, handing them money and... um, and and so I don't know. It's it's cool. Like our stu- but I also have to keep it in perspective because like the student body, like I see I mean, I don't work directly with students, but in my position on campus, especially in my position with student conduct, I mean, I literally see like the worst the campus has to offer because like if I sit in an office and it's only kids who are like suspected of being in trouble coming in day in, day out, of course I'm gonna think that the student body's terrible. So I mean the student body really isn't that bad. I'm just 
exposed to it all day, every day. Like the students who have the biggest issues on campus, the biggest like mental health concerns or even like physical health concerns and stuff like that. Like that's all I see. I don't, Right. I don't. Right. You yeah, get a very I, slanted view of things. Totally. Yeah. Totally. And so, but like this week was like, it was just like silly. Like literally on day one, on Wednesday, when the students were moving in, we had our first alcohol bust in the dorm. It was like a girl was moving in and had like two giant bottles of vodka, like with her parents there who probably bought them for her to bring to campus. And we have like, uh, the university is not a dry <laughs> campus because <laughs> we have like graduate programs where they have like law school parties that have alcohol and stuff in the buildings. And if you're over 21, you can have I think you can have alcohol and drink it in your room, but you can't like be on campus drinking like out and like on the lawns and stuff. And so like, so it's like, it's, it's not a dry campus, which is weird because my university was a dry campus, but they have like, no, wait a minute. Hold on a second. Now. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought we talked about this earlier and you were saying that if you're on Bourbon Street, you can get one of those giant hurricanes and just like walk around with it, right? Yeah, I'm talking about just on campus though. Right, right, right. So yeah. so they don't let you they do let you do that in town, but you cannot do that in campus is what you're saying. You cannot do that on campus because it's a private university, so they can set okay. whatever rules they want about what the conduct is. So yeah, like if you get off campus, if you as soon as you step off campus, you can open up your beer, walk around the streets of New Orleans, you know, have two two beers in each hand or whatever and drink as much as you want. <laughs> but when you're on campus, okay, you okay, it's gotcha. a, yeah, unless you're over 21 or in some kind of like party that has alcohol provided in one of the rooms, it's like specifically provided by staff for some kind of like, I don't know, graduate or doctoral candidate thing, then you can drink, but um, yeah, the rules are, it's, it's strange, but like we had our, like literally on day one at like 1 30 PM, our first alcohol bust of, you know, someone having alcohol in the room. The next day we had, um, a, uh, we had another one with a student having alcohol in the hallways in one of the rooms and it was his first day back on campus. And then like that Wait, wait, night, a, way to start kids. Come on. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. And then like we, we've already had an accusation of sexual misconduct between students. Um, and we've already had a physical assault between students. So like, Oh my God, what the hell? Yeah. What I don't fucking hell? know, man. It's like, it's <clears> just <throat> so, it's such a weird environment to work. And I mean, I love, I love my job for the most part and I like it because I'm not directly involved with the students. So I get to like, like, you know, see everything that's going on, but I don't necessarily have to, like, deal with the students. It sounds so awful, but uh, but it's nice because I, like, have, you know, my ear to the ground and knowing what's going on and everything, but I'm not the one who has to, like, meet with the students and, uh, you know, and either investigate them for conduct violations or see, you know, how many, how much support they need on campus and stuff, but... We also had, believe it or not, this is this is probably the thing that uh, is the most bananas to me, like, bananas with a capital B out of everything so far... We had not one, but two students who... Oh, God. Oh, God. No, this, this, going? this is not as bad. This is not as bad as it's going to sound, but it's just the thing that kills me out of all the stuff that's going on. Not one, but I'm two w- students. I'm waiting for you to mention farm animals is what's next. Oh, no. No. Um, <laughs> two students who came, who moved to campus and then were on campus for a single day before oh classes classes haven't even started yet they don't start oh till monday oh they're dear. on campus for a single day and they've already met with case management about doing a medical withdrawal to leave for the semester what what i mean if you were sick why did you come to college in the first place 
I wish I had all the answers to this, but it's they both have. I probably sh actually shouldn't go into the specifics of it because yeah, you can leave the details out. It. But I mean, yeah, but yeah, don't, I mean, you know. I yeah, like they. I mean, for circumstances which are understandable that I probably shouldn't mention on the show, um, they yeah. But I mean, just like long story short. Students have been back for a single day, and there are already two that are going through medical trial paperwork. And, like, one of them moved from very, very far away. I'm not going to say where, but one of them moved, like, almost all the way across the country. And, like, and it's, like, like I, I just can't, like, I can't wrap my head around that. Like, you move almost all the way across the country to come to this university you spend one day on campus and then decide, oh, this thing that I have going on is maybe more serious than I thought it was. I'm going to start medical withdrawal paperwork with case management to pull out of the semester. Like, what a bunch of, like, ridiculous work to go through just to turn around and go right back where you came from and accomplish, I mean, like, they, nothing. Did they, like, need to do it in order to, like get their money back or was there some reason like they needed to do that in person like they couldn't have done it at a distance if they were really sick or anything like is there, is there perhaps some reason where like oh if i if i take this flight even though i'm really sick and i go there in person on the first day i can get half my tuition back or something <laughs> like something like that or no um i don't think so i think that i mean i can't i can't talk about it specifically but the the student did not have to come to campus i guess is like the bottom line here but i think that they thought they were ready and that they could come back yeah. and that they were in good spirits and good health. And then, you know, maybe misjudged, uh, their, I don't know, their abilities yeah. or something. Maybe, and they, then thought, had maybe to... they thought they were feeling better than they were or something or something, but yeah, but well, that's, that's too bad. That's that sounds thing, terrible yeah. though. Yeah. It sounds terrible. <laughs> it's just, man, like I never thought I would be working in higher ed and now I'm working in higher ed. And I remember when I went on my business trip, uh, in June, there were like a bunch of people that were like, oh, so like, what, like, what, what's been your career path in higher ed? Like, what, what did you do before this? And I was like, well, I was like unemployed for two years and then I worked at Target for 11 years. So it's like, there's like nothing, like I never thought I'd be working in higher ed and I don't mind working in higher ed, but it's just such a weird like industry to go into whenever you're not expecting to go into it. Cause a lot of people like work their whole lives toward working at a university or something like that. And like, I did not ever think I would be working for university, but here I am. That's weird. I mean, I don't know. I, I have many mixed feelings about this whole thing. We could probably have a whole podcast about my feelings about <laughs> higher education. Cause I have very mixed feelings. And since you know that we homeschool, you can probably guess a lot of my feelings oh, about I'm the education sure. system. <laughs> but it's funny you mentioned this. It's funny you mentioned specifically like the fucking around and partying and being stupid on campus because I just, I've never understood that. I mean, I went to college myself for a while and I never got into like a drunken bender or whatever. And it was like, I, I kind of felt like I was, you know, I was paying, I was putting myself through college. So that was very valuable money to me. And I wasn't going to go if I just needed to go drink and fuck around. Like, I mean, you can do that for free. Like, I don't, I mean, I get that maybe that's some people's taste of freedom, but that actually kind of reminds me of like how the ch the changing nature of college in America where, you know, perhaps, I mean, I've read this. I don't know for a fact because I think it's it's so long ago that I don't think anybody who lived through it is even alive anymore. But like, you know, I heard tell back in the day <laughs> where college was a place where you went to go figure yourself out. And that's just not true anymore because it's so expensive and it takes so long to get the right credits and to get yourself on the right track. Like, I just don't see that it's really feasible or even wise to go to a college if you don't already know what you're going for and if you haven't already made those preparations. Because it just is like the costs keep going up and up. And even if you get through college, there's no guarantee of a job. And it's just not the 
the win win ticket that it used to be. You know, it's not the free ride to Easy Street. I was actually just talking um, about this to my oldest son, and we actually got into a bit of a heated discussion, oh, uh, which no. I guess we'll be having more of those. Um, he's a great guy. I have no complaints about him in general, but. When it comes to college, like my view of college and his mom's view of college. So this is the son that doesn't live with me. For people who don't know, um, I have two kids. One lives with me, one doesn't. And the one that does not live with me is much older. He is going to be 17 this year. So his family, his other, you know, the other side of the family that that is not my side of the family, they're totally like, you got to go to college. Everybody goes to college. No one who's worth a damn doesn't go to college. You got to get a degree. That's just what you do. You got to go right away. You know, like they're totally like very entrenched in the fucking traditional education system, which I think is bullshit. Not that I think education is bullshit, but the system is bullshit. And so he's talking about going to college. And I'm like, look, dude, like, do not, do not talk to me about going to college because you don't know what you want to do. You don't know what you want to be. I'm not going to pay for you to go to college to fuck around. Like, if you're going to go and drink and meet girls and sleep in and fuck off, then you cannot go. Like, I'm like, if you had been on some track where it's like, oh, I want to be a doctor and I've taken all the right classes in high school and I really have a plan and I've been volunteering at a medical center and I really I've done a ride along in an ambulance and I've got my little stethoscope already and I've been using it. I'll be like, yeah, okay, boom, down. I'm down. Let's get you to medical school. Let's do it. But he's like, I watch YouTube and I play games. And I'm like, no, you're not going. No, I'm not going to send you to college for that. I'm not going <laughs> to put my fucking wallet on the line for that. So I think if, I mean, so this is a little bit of a tangent, but like, I feel like if you just, if you know what you want to do, then do that and go. And which, which to me seems counter to like these stories you're telling me of like these kids who show up on first day and they're fucking off with like drinking and getting, you know, getting into altercations in the hallway and messing around. It's like, man. You must be going on your mom and dad's meal ticket because if you were paying for this out of your own pocket, you would not be wasting your fucking money like this. Like, you either would be saving it and doing something you really want to do. Like, if you want to party, go party. But, like, why should you pay $50,000 a year to go party in some stupid, you know, dorm or something? Like, why don't you just go and actually party? Um, So, I don't know. I take a pretty dim view of that stuff. Uh, Being someone who put myself through college and being on the hook for someone else's college education, I... I take that cost very, very, very seriously, and I, I really look askance at somebody who kind of throws that away. Yeah, and I think that's probably, like, the big... The whole, like, financial thing is probably the big, like, thing here is that a lot of the kids um, who are going to school at the university I work for definitely are on their parents' dime, and, you know, they come from rich families, and money doesn't really mean a lot to them, so... Right, yeah, they can clearly. Just, yeah, they can, you know, fly across the country and go to school and then fuck around and, you know, do whatever they want. It's just... It's, yeah, I mean, I I see both sides of, you know, the whole situation, you know, where it's like college doesn't really mean anything, but also every job posting out there ever, you know, like they want you to have a bachelor's degree for everything. And so it's like, it's just well, so that's, that's interesting, too. I think that's so. That, OK, so this is we're getting to like a much larger discussion here, but I feel like this is totally part of like the bullshit bogus American profiteering system where school is the system now. It's not really about education. It's about getting the administrators paid and feeding into that whole like, um, you know, money, money wheel that you got to get on if you think you need to get a job. But I know like so many people who either um, had never gone to college and ended up being wildly successful. Now, maybe my view of that is skewed because I live in Seattle. And if you can code, you will be rich in Seattle. So, like, I know a ton of people who, like, never went to school. 
uh, and are quite wealthy, way wealthier than I am. And I know plenty of people who do just fine who never went to school. Uh, they maybe when they went to a trade school or they have a skill of some sort or they got in, they met somebody and they knew something and got in somehow. But I meet so many people who have a degree and like the job that they're doing has nothing at all to do with their degree. And the whole idea of, of requiring like a BA uh, to get in anywhere is completely bogus. Um, in fact, the job that I have now, which I've been doing for 22 years, um, they are run by a bunch of just really fuckhead morons. Uh, the people like the administrative body who kind of like handle certifications and stuff. So like you need a certification to work. And these are the people who say whether you can work or not. And they're fucking idiot assholes. And <laughs> like my job does not require a college education. I did go to college, but it is at the time that I went to school, it was not required. I just went because I wanted to. And I feel ultimately that was a good choice for me, but that is not a good choice for everybody. And it's like they keep requiring more and more. And so for my particular field, they're now requiring a BA to get in. Which is completely fucking stupid because having a BA has nothing at all to do with the job that you're doing. They kind of just see it as like, oh, well, if you have a BA, then I guess that kind of means you're like a smart person. So I guess that means we only want smarties to do this job. So if you don't have a BA, you can't do it, which is dumb. I mean, they should require a BA that has something to do with your field because I know people who have BAs in like like the most wildly unrelated fields. And I'm just like, if this guy that I know, okay, so for example... I mean, I've said this before in the show. I don't like to talk about it a ton, but so I do sign language, right? So that's my job. And so I know a guy who has his BA in classical guitar. Please tell me how <laughs> classical guitar has fuck all anything to do with sign language because it doesn't. But they're uh, telling no, me that this on. guy. Obviously, no, no, no. <laughs> obviously his degree means that he can like move his fingers really fast because he's used to playing guitar. And oh, I'm sure God. that comes in handy you're, for sign language. You are stretching so hard right now. <laughs> I would smack you if you were standing right next to me right now. <laughs> So he got his fucking thing in classical guitar. And I'm like, look, man, this is bullshit. You cannot connect those two dots, although that was a good try on your part. Um, <laughs> so I just I just feel like that whole general idea of any job needs a BA as a way of, like, filtering out, like, dumb people or something or filtering out lower class people or filtering out people who likely don't have a college education is fucking bullshit. So I take real big issue with that. Um, and it also devalues people who actually get a BA because they see so many people who get one who, like, they're not smart. Like, they just get one because they get one. You just stumble fuck your way through school. If you have enough money to pay for the tuition, you get one at the end, and then you get out, and you're still searching for a job just like the rest of the schmucks out here. So I, I, I'm I, getting off on a rant here. Sorry. But I, <laughs> I have big I have big issues with the school system in this country. Mm, I had no idea. I could not tell. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Enough of that shit. Enough of that shit. Let's move on. Let's move on. You got... Uh, look, I'm looking at the script. You got something else, uh, students no, moving we can, in? No, we can... Uh, we can table it and discuss your stuff oh you sure i'm sure okay i will move on then uh okay so just a quick mention uh pax west is actually next week it kind of snuck up on me um i kept thinking it was always like further out and i kept getting more and more emails about schedule an appointment let's uh let's get you into the booth let's meet with somebody let's do some interviews and i'm like man i'm getting a lot of these fuckers um so yeah I, the reason i'm getting so many emails is because it's literally next week so <laughs> I'm kind of unprepared for that, but uh, I will be going to that all four days. I have a ton of appointments to do. I told myself I wasn't going to overbook. I don't think I did overbook. I have traditionally overbooked myself in the past because it's really hard to say no to people. Um, so, like, like when you know when you when you've been in this business for a while and you meet PR people, like you get to know them, like you get to be friends with some of them. You see the same names pop up over and over and over. It's a very small world, and it always helps everybody if you have a pretty good relationship. Now, I'm not talking about you know, oh, ethics and game journalism or anything, you know, <laughs> they're just people. They're just people that you work with. It's like if you go to the gas station and you see the same guy 
inside the gas station store. If you go to like your barber shop and it's the same barber, like you see the same people over and over and over. So it's just, you know, to be a person, you have this relationship. And so like when people that I know in PR are like, oh, Brad, come see this game. It's like, you know, it's, it's hard to say no because, you know, their job depends on them getting people in. And not to say that you need to give them favorable coverage. Like you don't need to. It's not about give my game a 10 out of 10. It's just about, hey, I just want to get a body in here to show my game so I can prove to my boss that I'm doing my job. So I hate saying no, but at the same time, there's more games than a human being could ever see at the show. There's just, there's too much. Like, there's no way you could book appointments with everybody. So saying no is tough. And then making decisions about what you want to see is really tough, too, because before the show, you may know about what you want to see. And then once the show starts, inevitably, there's like 10 games that either you didn't know about or that you thought were not going to be great, but then ended up being like a surprise. And then it's like, oh, I got to hurry up and I got to see this. I got to get in somehow. I got to find the PR person for that. So it's like a mad scramble like every year. So uh, it's going to be starting on Friday, Friday, next Friday. So um, that's going to be the entire weekend. And in fact, we should probably take it offline. Not now, but we should talk about when we could work some recording in. It might make sense just to do it after all of PAX is over, probably. Uh, I but, can well, get oh, on board with that. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about it later on, though. Um, let's see. So a couple other things. Um, I went to go see the movie Alpha yesterday. Have you seen any trailers for this? I've seen the poster for it. And oddly enough, I'm, I follow the guy on Instagram who stunt doubled for the main character, but I don't know. Yeah. I don't know anything about the movie. I know the poster is like a kid and like a wolf and like, that's pretty much all I know. (laughs) Yeah, that's basically all we knew about it, too. But we were kind of in the mood to go to a movie, and it seemed like we kind of hit a little dry spell. It felt like we were going to the movies, like, once a week earlier this year because, like, so much stuff was coming out. And then it was like we hadn't gone for a while, so we got the itch. Went to go see Alpha. It was actually it was pretty good. Um, the story is it's about a prehistoric tribe of people. And I, get, I mean, they don't really say where they are or anything. It's not really important. They're just, like, in some fucking tundra area. Uh, back in the day, everybody's wearing fur. Everybody's like super dirty, and you know, like they're all using spears with like little rocks tied with deer skin at the end of them and stuff. So like, just you know, super prehistoric shit going on. And everybody talks in like a. Um, I'm assuming it's like a made up language. Like there are subtitles, but there's not a lot of dialogue in the movie. And when they do talk, it's all about mm-hmm. you know this, this some fictional language. So basically, this tribe goes out to hunt. Uh, buffalo. This is their one time of year they need to go hunt buffalo, and they have this cool spot. Like, these buffalo are huge, and they're deadly, and what they do is they go to frighten the buffalo, and they end up stampeding the buffalo off of this cliff, and then when they fall off the cliff, they can go down to the bottom of the cliff and just collect the meat without having to fight the animal. So, that's, you know, this is their traditional, like, once-a-year journey to do this. And what happens is, uh, the chief's son ends up getting whacked by a buffalo in the middle of the, the the ruckus and he gets knocked off a cliff and everybody thinks he's dead so they you know they're super sad and everything and it actually it was actually pretty pretty tearful like the the chief was really busted up they did a good job of acting because i really felt like that was fucking terrible that the kid fell off the cliff um so everybody leaves but it it turns out that the kid is actually not dead he's injured really badly and he gets knocked out for a while but then when he wakes up he's like all alone in the middle of like prehistoric tundra and he gives the, you know, the prehistoric equivalent of like, oh, shit, what do I do? <laughs> so he ends up like trying to hobble home. And along the way, he gets attacked by some wolves, like a pack of wolves. He wounds one of them and the pack goes away. But the one that's injured is left behind. He like cuts it with a knife or something and like it falls over. 
uh, but it doesn't die. And so he's wounded and the wolf is there and the wolf is wounded. And instead of killing it for meat, he kind of like nurses it back to health. And then the two of them become, you know, like frenemies at first. And then they kind of become, you know, more bonded as time goes on and they kind of journey back to the village. So, um, it was pretty cool. I think that the visuals were very cool, like very sweeping, very stark, very, like it felt like a prehistoric wasteland out there. Like I'm like, it looked pretty rough. So they did a really good job with that. Everybody was sufficiently dirty <laughs> and it was the kind of movie where it was, it was grim and it was brutal, but it wasn't too brutal that you couldn't bring your kids. Like I think you could bring a kid to this with a little bit of parental guidance and it wasn't too super cheesy. Like there was maybe a couple moments in the movie where I was like, mm, I don't know if that would have really happened, but it wasn't like crazy bad. Um, they kind of just needed to move the story along and some things I know that they did for artistic value, which is fine. Um, but I just liked how it, it did feel very grim. Like that kid did feel like he was fighting for his survival and you could, you could see how this would happen and it didn't feel, it didn't feel too like Disney movie cheesy. Like there wasn't a big rainbow and a smile at the end of it or anything. So I thought it was, I thought it was pretty good. Not perfect, but definitely very good. And I would, I would recommend it to parents uh, who wanted to have, I don't know, just like a little bit more of an educational thing. Cause we actually, during the movie talked about a lot of stuff that happened during the movie. Like we talked about like the food that they would eat and the journey they went on and like him looking at the stars as a way to guide himself and animals. Of the t- I mean, there was like lots of opportunities for incidental learning as we were watching the film. So I thought it was really good from that perspective, but overall pretty good, pretty good. I got a little tearful at the end and I was like, Oh, I'm crying at this caveman movie. So I guess it, worked. <laughs> it was pretty good. It was pretty good. So I liked it. I liked it. I thought it was good. Um, <clears throat> Otherwise, what else do I have here? Uh, talking about the Xbox One for just a minute. Xbox One, giant piece of shit, flaming piece of shit. Some of your tweets regarding it recently. I I figured you must have seen. <laughs> I hate the Xbox One. I've had some people hit me up on Twitter and say, "Oh, the like the second uh, what is, uh, the Xbox One S is better, and the Xbox One X is better than that." Okay, fine, whatever. I mean, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I kind of doubt it because I have a lot of problems with the OS, honestly. And I don't think the hardware fixes that. Um, But I have an Xbox One from about a year after launch. So it's not a launch console, which is also the other thing that people, apologists, so, oh, we got a launch console. You know, you got to expect it's going to break. Okay, it's not a launch console. Okay, I didn't buy Xbox One launch. Anyway, had to fucking update the Xbox One because the kid wanted to play something. What did you want to play? Why did I why did I start the Xbox One? Wasn't it Titanfall? Titanfall. Oh, oh yes, thank you. Okay, yes, thank you. Um so I'm like, okay, uh, okay, so backing up a little bit. We've talked about this before on the show, but my kid has my wife's old 360 and he was playing Titanfall on the on the 360, which is where I played Titanfall on the 360. And it was a pretty good version. Um, I know that the uh, Titanfall was like one of the launch titles or one of the big attraction titles for the Xbox One. Um, but I wasn't going to buy one at launch. And so I bought I bought it on the 360. And it was a very decent port. I was, I was satisfied with it. I thought it was quite good. So we passed it on to the son. He's a huge Titanfall fan. And he's been playing. But like the community for Xbox 360 Titanfall online players is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And it's all kids. It's all just like little kids. <laughs> and the last time we checked about six months ago, it was about like 11, 11 kids like globally who were playing this game. Like it was a very small community. You would see the same names pop up every single day. I totally wanted to do like a story about it. Cause it, I, it seemed like it would be a very interesting story to track these kids down. What is their situation? How is it that they're still playing Titanfall? On the 360. I mean, it's a very specific niche. I want to know where how they got there. But anyway, besides, I never did that story, so forget it. <laughs> um, so the community is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. 
And my son was getting kind of sad because he wanted to actually, you know, he, he loves this game. He wants to keep playing it, but there's, there's not really any people playing it. And this is like one of the sad realities of modern games is like, you know, when the online goes away, I mean, the, you know, the, the games are going to die now instead of just being able to fire up any game you want to at any time. Like a lot of these games rely on online communities. And so if that community dries up, then you're fucked because you got nobody to play with. And so he was like, he was like, oh, I want to play this, but nobody's playing. And he's like, dad, can you turn on your 360 and just like, we'll start a private match and I'll just, I'll just play by myself. And I got so sad, dude. That was the saddest thing I'd ever heard. I'm like, oh my God, my kid wants to play by himself in Titanfall because there's no one to play with. And I, that was very heart wrenching for me. I just, it was so lonely and sad. So I'm like, okay, if, okay, look, look, look. I'm like, every game's going to die eventually these days because that's what modern games are and modern games are bullshit. But Titanfall is also on the Xbox One, which I'm not using. It's got like four inches of dust on it. And I, I'm sure, I'm guessing that there's going to be more people playing Titanfall on Xbox One than on Xbox 360, I would guess. And so I'm like, okay, fine, I'll update this thing so that you can, you know, for a while anyway. I mean, Titanfall is not going to be around forever. And we're going to have to, like, have that grieving process at some point. But not today. I don't want to do that today. We're not doing that today. So I fire it up, and it needs to be updated. So I'm like, okay, no problem. I update it. Update fails. I'm like, what? Is, what? It fails. So I do it again. Update fails. I'm like, okay, so I'm like, is this on the Wi-Fi or something? Is the Wi-Fi signal dropping? What's going on? I make sure it's on the wired connection. Start doing the update. Update fail. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on with this? Like, every console is online these days. And every con... I mean, like, that's where everybody wants to move us. Online all the time. Download only. Streaming services. Fee for service. You know, like, everybody wants to be online. And if you can't fucking update your console, that's like step one to being online. So I get... <laughs> like, what the fuck is going on? I reset the modem. That doesn't work. I reset the console. That doesn't work. I can't update the thing. Can't take it online. Can't play any games. And I'm like, this is bullshit. I barely touched my Xbox One. It's basically brand new. I've probably played it for like a total of like maybe 20 hours, maybe like since purchase or like over like two or three years ago or whatever it was. Things brand new. So I can't get it to work. And then I go online and I look to see what's going on. And it gives me like an error code. And it's like, oh, you need to do an offline update. And I'm like, oh, my God. So I had to find a USB stick. And luckily, I had one that was big enough. Like uh, I had a bunch that were small. But you needed one that could contain the whole OS on the, on the, on the stick. So I'm like, I look around, look around, find one. Go to my computer. I find the right file to download. That takes like literally more than an hour to download the file onto the stick. And then I take that. And I go to the Xbox One, and I do that. And it turns out that's actually the wrong file. Oh the God. information I got from Xbox.com was wrong. And so I go back and then um, download another file, which is like a whole other hour, put that in. And then the instructions that were actually on Xbox.com were not correct because it was, I guess, updated for one of the newer boxes. It did not have my particular model. And I learned also that there's a button on the Xbox One that I never knew was there. So there's the bind button, which I didn't know existed, but now I know that it's there. So thanks for that, I guess. And put that stick in, and then that had to, you know, update, and finally it worked. So it was like this giant fucking pain in the ass. I was just really put out, bent out of shape, and all I wanted was for my kid to, like, play some fucking Titanfall, you know? Like, I just wanted to jump on and let him have some fun, and then it ended up being he didn't play that day. He had to play, like, the next day, and I spent, like, like literally, like, more than two and a half hours getting the thing to update. Not, not happy about this, Corey. Not happy about this uh, at all. And I know I, you know, I had a lot of people being like, "Oh, I'm sorry, you have such an experience. I love the Xbox One." Okay, whatever. I mean, if you love it, that's fine. We have a, we have a couple people on staff who love it. That's fine. I don't take away from that love. But I hate the Xbox One. I think it's designed like shit. The OS is shit, and the system is shit. And the fact that this even happened, I was 
I was fucking irate, dude. I was just gritting my teeth so hard. Hmm. I, uh... This situation makes me think about whenever you buy... Whenever... I, th I This conversation's been going on for a long time, maybe since, like, the original Xbox. But, like, for those people who live in parts of the country that don't get good internet or don't get any internet, and... Like, how are they supposed to do this stuff? And also, whenever you buy, whenever you go to, like, Target and you buy games, and sometimes when you buy games now, it's not a game in the case. It's just, like, a card with the download code totally, in it for Xbox. Totally, totally, totally. Or, like, you get the game, and then you get a code for, like, the DLC in the box instead of having the DLC packed in on the disc. And it's just stuff like this that makes me think of, like, like what about those people that... I mean, and, like, this is, like, clearly, like, a weird problem for you because, like, you live in Seattle. Like, you're not in some, like, rural area that doesn't have internet. Like, you're in, like, one of the hearts of internet in probably the world living in Seattle. And if, like, you're having a problem with this, with your console where you live, like, I am concerned for people who live places where they don't get good consistent internet or they don't get fast enough internet or they don't have internet at all. And, like... And with the industry continually pushing more toward downloadable stuff and toward not having things on discs, um, this is incredibly problematic. And I'm sure that the that, that demographic makes up a pretty small percentage of players. But, I mean, if, if the people pl can't play the games, then they are, I don't know, they're just like throwing their money out the window and it's not cool. Yeah, and I know that, you know, I mean, I'm sure, it seems like if we don't, become extinct through environmental means and if uh, Donald Trump doesn't like somehow detonate a nuclear bomb in America it seems like we are eventually going to all be you know on a more online more connected more internet future like I get that but I definitely don't think we're there yet and in terms of like just using it um, I mean like you know like whenever I download something like nothing else can happen in the house like I do live in Seattle which is like a major tech hub in America but, like, all the best internet is, like, on Microsoft campus. Like, it's not out in the city. Like, <laughs> we have shitty Comcast, which costs a fortune. And we also have uh, CenturyLink, which is cheaper than Comcast, but still shitty. And so it's really expensive, and it's not as good as it could be. And it's just, it's just a real pain in the ass. I just, I hate how everything is, like, more and more and more and more has to be online. Like, I, if it works, great. But I don't think we're there yet in terms of infrastructure or in terms of cost. I mean, I hear a lot of people saying that internet these days should just be um, a utility, just like electricity or water, which I really agree with because, I mean, good luck trying to get along in life without being connected to the Internet. I mean, you need it for news. You need it for, uh, you know, to send emails, to communicate with people. You need it for, like, doing job interviews. I mean, there's, like, every single job that you see these days wants you to upload your fucking uh, resume online and shit. Like, you, like, Internet is just part of life. So I think that if, like, we took it on as a utility and it became more commonplace and it was all over the country and people had access to it, I mean, maybe that, maybe that would be better. But yeah, I feel like we're getting ahead of ourselves now, and uh, it, it's shit like this that just really fucking... I mean, if I hadn't have been able to connect online, my Xbox would have been bricked. I mean, I would have not been able to use it for anything, which is just ridiculous. So anyway, that was fucking bullshit, and I, <laughs> I am still resentful. Like, Xbox is doing absolutely nothing to win me back as a customer. After spending basically the entire 360 era as a huge Xbox fan, I am I, I, I want nothing to do with the box right now. So that's a... Shows how far they've fallen. Um, anyway, one more quick little shout-out before we move on. Uh, have you ever heard of a show called The Joy of Tex? T-E-C-H-S? I have not. 
it's a two English guys or okay British I'm sorry they may not be English I think actually one guy is Greek or something but he lives in England or whatever um apparently they're famous guys in the UK I've never heard of either one of them I don't know who they are but I mean I guess there's somebody over there which is fine but <laughs> they each show is a different theme and one guy is like anti-tech and he's just like oh you don't need tech tech is bullshit like gadgets and computers like you don't need none of this stuff just enjoy life and be out there and the other guy is a total tech nerd and they're like best friends they've been friends for like 20 years and so the tech guy will bring all sorts of gadgets and like force his anti-tech friend to like try him out and they'll <laughs> they'll troubleshoot him and like you know have adventures or misadventures more accurately with these things it is hilarious these two guys are super entertaining their banter is really really funny and they do a lot of like funny jokes and the way that they like wreck some of the, the gadgets that they get or just fuck around with it or I mean, every once in a while you see something that's pretty cool, but, like, usually it's like, oh, that thing looks stupid. I can't believe anybody made that gadget or whatever. And it's just a hilarious fucking show. Uh, each episode is, like, I think half an hour, and I believe the entire first season is on Netflix for free. So in case you want something to chuckle at, uh, me and the family have been watching this. Family appropriate, and I just I think it's the funniest fucking shit. It's just so funny. So uh, not necessarily a comedy show, but it is comedic, and it talks about a lot of technology that you may not know about. A lot of really, really cutting-edge stuff on that show. Uh, so it's pretty cool. It's called The Joy of Text, T-E-C-H-S. And yes, they are aware it is a pun. Is it scripted or is it just really them like doing it in reality, like doing these things? I would assume that they probably have, kind of like us, I believe they probably have a script to start with. But it feels like a lot of that stuff is ad-libbed as they go on. So, you know, like they'll start off with, hi, we're here at the park today and we're doing this. But then one guy will crack a joke and the other guy will like do a joke that plays off his joke. And that, that part to me seems like it's just ad libbing. So it's like a little good mix. Good mix. Okay. Okay. And that's all I got. That is all I got. Uh, anything else you want to bring up for banter, dude? I don't think so. All right. Well, we are 10 minutes ahead of schedule. I say we uh, cut it here and start talking about some games. I like that idea. All right, here we go. Let's talk about some games. <laughs> 